Blog Talk Radio. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. But why would Imperial keep on Father Jowers? If they place the robots here, then they have learned to solve them to not lead them back home. Oh, wait, Luke! It's too dangerous! You know this is not too fast. Fear of life when it passes to the dark side. Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the force. Tonight, your kids will sleep with your rifle. They will give your rifle a girl's name. Because this... All right, everybody, Joseph Gibson, understand the times in which we live today. Tonight, documentary. We're going to continue our conversations here from last night and uh, be talking about prisons again. Uh, try to bring shed light to this uh, topic here. Talk about the, the confinement uh, uh, situation that people, a lot of inmates are in. I did invite people onto the podcast here to talk about prisons and whatnot. But, uh, you know, everyone needs all kinds of notice and whatnot. That, you know, I mean, hey, look, when the war, you know, times of emergency, you know, we, we must be ready, you know, uh, uh, at all times. All times. At moment's notice. We are in the midst of very revolution. And we must be ready at all times uh, and ready to go, you know. Um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and uh, start off the documentary here, uh, a little short clip here about prisons and the most dangerous prisons in the world. Uh, last night we talked about solitary confinement also. So this is about eight minutes long, and uh, we'll play this one here real quick. And uh, as a news clip, and prisons is the subject. So if you know somebody out there who's in prison or who's on parole or who's on probation, or who's done some time in prison. I have invited a few people on to the podcast here tonight. I invited even Mr. Bean on there. 
uh, see how his program is going out there, recidivism, uh, start trying to stop that. I invited a lot of different groups. I forgot to invite just another number. Uh, I forgot to invite her. I should have done that. Maybe I'll reach out while this documentary is playing. Uh, it's about ten. It's about it's eleven minutes long. So we'll do that. And anybody else? Six five seven three eight three zero six one six. Press number one, and we'll do commentary commentary on it. Also, I'll check the phones periodically. All right. Things right now that are some of the worst places to be in, and more. Join me as I review eleven of the most dangerous prisons in the world. Number 11, pandemic prisons. You might think that prisons during the current pandemic situation are some of the safest places in the world because prisons and jails are closed systems. So thus there aren't many ways to go and spread around the virus that's crippling the world. But you'd be very wrong on that front because right now every prison in the world is a dangerous prison because of the pandemic. Think about it for a in prison, there's no such thing as social distancing, and that's mainly because there are two people per cell, and those cells are very small. What's more, soap and protective equipment to keep them safe while close is virtually non-existent, because prisons won't pay for that and won't treat the prisoners fairly. They have been so bad during the pandemic that they've literally been called petri dishes, and the spread of the virus through the prisons is honestly rather shocking. Now, some in the government have tried to put a spin on this, but the numbers don't lie. Many thousands of prisoners have gotten sick in the prisons, and hundreds have died. Some prisoners have even rioted and exposed contraband in order to help tell people their stories and get the word out about their prisons, basically killing them. Plus, a prison isn't a closed system. There are guards and staff that come through all the time. Plus, new prisoners are brought in and other prisoners are cycled out. So thus, the virus continues to spread throughout the prison system, making anyone in there right now vulnerable to getting sick. All right, well, we're going to go switch over to Connecticut prisons here real quick. I got another, I got another documentary here that I forgot to get started up, so I apologize for that. But... That's what parole is. 
In collaboration with the New York Times, Life on Parole. people supervised by parole here. You know for sure. 
but about a third of all parolees end up violating the terms of their release and are reincarcerated. Fewer people being released from prison. On parole, you're still sort of in the Department of Correction. You're being monitored in the community by a parole officer, but at any day, for any type of violation, they can take you directly back into prison because you're still technically serving your sentence, right? The parole board is making decisions. Mike Lawler is one of the officials trying to turn this around and give parolees more chances once they're out. It is not unusual for parolees to come back once or twice once they're out, right? They didn't commit a new crime, but they're violating the rules of their supervision. One change has been the creation of a special unit devoted exclusively to the needs of women parolees. Officer Catherine Montoya helped start the unit. Women are a different population. They have different needs. Their supervision is to be different. My ladies oftentimes are in primary care because of their children. But then if they're not doing good, if I remove them from the situation, who's going to take care of those kids? So, you know, it's... Do a lot of thinking after hours, whether the decisions that I'm making are correct or not, so it's hard. So, Jessica. Everybody, Joseph Gibson here, podcasting live, understanding the times in which we live today. Okay, just want to give a little documentary there. That's Connecticut Department of Corrections there, the parole department there, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, Waterbury, Connecticut's in here too. Uh, uh, the New Haven is in here also, so I'm not going to play the whole thing right now. I'm going to check the phone boards, uh, see if anybody that I asked to uh, call in called in. Um, you know, of course, I would like to get anyone who's been in prison or who's on parole. Uh, they don't have to give their name. We're on a worldwide radio podcast show here, so you don't have to give your name, but you can, you know, you don't even have to tell me where you're calling from. You don't even have to disclose your phone number if you don't want to, but uh, you can tell your story. And, and what can parole, because listen, this is an advocate show here where we can find out here what can be changed here, what needs to be changed. The show is called Understanding the Times in Which We Live Today. What can be changed to make things different? You know, so we can stop this nonsense, this madness of uh, uh, of this Department of So-Called Corrections that's really a warehouse for inmates and people, men and women. So uh, let me check the phone boards here, see if I got any callers here, and then we'll go back to the documentary. If not, okay, I got, uh, okay, one of my friends here. Uh, go ahead there, uh, 203. How you doing, brother? How you doing? Yep. Hello. So- Yes, I'm I have, here. Uh, another Joe. Joe with me. Joe, you on? I'm on. Joe, you know Joe. How you doing, Joe? Hey, Joe and on. Joe here. Joe and Joe. We're live right now on a worldwide podcast called Understanding the Times in which we live today. You don't have to give your name, your full name, but your first name is Joe. Uh, did you hear the documentary there? Uh, yes, I did. Okay. What? Well, now, have you had any experience or uh, firsthand experience with the Connecticut Department of Corrections? And if so, give me a brief outline or history of it and tell me what's wrong with it, what needs to be changed, or what has changed over the years. Just tell me a little bit of background if you can. Well, you know, my my first time being in jail was in the early 80s. And, uh, you know, as, as, as you were, you know, listen, I was listening and guys were talking about, you know, getting rid of TVs, taking them to the pawn shops and stuff like that. You know, as my drugs of choice changed, uh, my my crimes changed. And uh, in 19, 1990, uh, I was sentenced. I was sentenced to life uh, suspended after 40 years 
And you wow. know, back then, back then there was there was a lot of programs inside the you know Department of Corrections. And you know, you flash forward to 2021, and 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 there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. And you know. It, it, it was a, it was a little bit of a difference, you know. I, I wound up getting transferred out of state, you know, for so-called you know gang affiliation, which was never proven, and eventually found out it wasn't true. And I was transferred to Rhode Island, and it was such a difference between, you know, forty miles of of how a, a prison in Rhode Island runs and how the prisons in Connecticut run. And you know, and now it's uh, you know I just got home. After serving a year, um, you know, on a fabricated story, you know, with laws, you know, I was picked up and, and, and I, was, I was told that I, I needed to take the year that the state was, was offering or, you know, the judge told me he'd bring me back in 30 days and he'd give me five years. So, you know, it's like you, it's like you said, Joe, it's, 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 it's a warehouse. It's, it's, a revolving, it's a revolving door. Where yeah. you know guys coming out, guys coming out. I mean, I I left, I left about uh, going home on almost two weeks. I've been home, and when I walked, I walked out the door. The only thing they offered me was a bus ticket if I needed if I needed a bus pass. There was there was no food stamps there. You know, these are basic things that guys need. You know, coming out after doing it, whether you did whether you did six months or you did you know you did twenty five years, and it's just yeah. it's just sad. It's sad. What 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 do you think it should change right now? As far as you said, it used to would be different years ago, but they changed it more more restrictive now. But what do you think could change to help the inmates? There was, in that documentary I just played, the inmate's name was Brantley, uh, Eric Brantley, I think his name was. Uh, he was on parole. Uh, from Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, and then we had Mr. Lawler there doing the interview. There, Mr. Lawler, he's in Connecticut, and then they had the I forgot the name of the uh, parole officer there that was on there. But what what can uh, what can they do differently to you know to help see these guys so they don't violate parole? They say they say two out of three will violate their parole. Uh, you know, a third mm-hmm. of them will return back to prison. That's crazy. Yeah, well, Joe, you know, like like you said in the program, you know, and, and like I know firsthand, you know, coming out of coming out of prison, um, if if you don't have a place to go, um, you're in a you're in a lot of trouble. That would be the first thing. It would would be either to you know make it more easier to get into a, you know a halfway house or or a treatment facility, but a lot of these guys, you know, they're they're TSing. And the only thing that they require for TS is, is, is a sponsor. But, you know, when you, when you come out, you, you need a job, you need medical insurance, you need food, you need clothing, you need shelter. And, and none of these things are, are available, and they are available. Let me, let me rephrase that. They are available, but it, it's like so hard to try to get in. It, it, you come out of prison, say, after 10 years. You don't have a vehicle. If, if you're in a rural area, and, and I live in, in what they call the, the quiet corner of Connecticut, uh, I live on the border of Massachusetts and Rhode Island, and when I tell you that there is nothing up here, there's nothing up here. If I needed to go somewhere to, to get these things, I have to get all the way down to Willimantic or, you know, Harford or, you know, places like this. And it's just, you just 
putting guys out of prison, and this is why they're they're reoffending because, you know, when when you, the survival mode kicks in, um, you know, you're going to go back to doing the things that that you knew how to do, and and for most yep. guys, you know, for most guys, Joe, it, it, it was it was selling drugs, and and you know yep. what you can get the money, you can get the money, and then. You know that's all it is. It's that it's that one little thing out of those fifteen or sixteen things that are on your parole agreement that you can't do. And as soon as that happens, you're back in the door. To, to me, well, you heard that cat- documentary. Yeah, you heard on the documentary there where the guy was ordered to stay away from his girlfriend. Well, his girlfriend right. is where he's going to be living with. It's where his family is. He's ordered to stay right. away. She says it's okay. But the Department of Corrections has a policy that says, no, she can't. So policy always trumps, you know, what's best for the inmate or, or society even. So it's broken. It's broken, you know. I mean, did you see a lot of that where policies just were totally uh, uh, erroneous, erroneously applied, you know? Right, right. And, and, and as far as what you say with, with things being, being broken, it's, it's so simple. It's so simple for you to get violated on parole. It's it's not even it's not even funny. It's not even funny. Probation yeah. is 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 a different thing. You know, I was lucky. I got a year mandatory with no parole, no probation. But when I finished that last big bid that I did, I had probation. But you know, I became so okay with the probation. You know, I was blessed. You know, I, I had the ability to you know, to have a place to live. And, you know, I eventually started a business. And, you know, the, the guy that, that I was living with, you know, I haven't been here for a year. You know, he welcomed me back with open arms. So I was one of the lucky ones. But I know guys that are out. You know, I saw a guy the other day that I knew got out before me, and, and he's living in a, in a thing that they call Tent City here in, in the town that I live in. And it, it's sad. Wow. It's really it's really, it's really sad. And this is a guy that has, you know, great carpentry skills and stuff like that. But then again, it's, it's the thing of you need to get to a job appointment. Well, how do you get there? there there's not even buses up here where I'm at. You know, so, so, so what uh, yeah. are you doing that system? You know, you, you have to yeah. go to a, you have to, you have to go to a food pantry. You have to go to a soup kitchen, and there's not many of those around. But the, the, the long term thing would be is, is, is you, you have to have housing in place for these guys that are there. Then, then once you get them into a, into a halfway house or, or, or a residence or whatever it's going to be, well, when you're inside of that, then you can turn around and, and they can take care of the stuff that you need before, you know, you get released from whatever amount of time that you're going to be in a halfway house. Yeah. So, I've got a couple callers here who do want to jump in here on board, and I know who they are. So, But uh, but real quick, how many years total did you do in, inside the prisons uh, so far? How much time have you done? I've done more than, my, more than half, uh, half of my adult life. I'll be 61 in January. And, wow, and like over I said, 30 years. Yeah, wow. when, I, when, I, when I started off, you know, my father stepped on my neck the very first time I got arrested and I learned to trade. And, you know, and all that was, was, you know, I was working in the union in New York City and I was making good money, but, and all that was, was it, it went towards drugs and it, and it, and it took off and it took off. And, and over the years, the crime escalated, the time escalated. And, you know, it's just, it's a shame. You know, those are years that I'm never, ever going to get back. 
And how, and real quick before I bring on a caller, how have the prisons inside the population, I mean, you figure it out, it it kind of isn't kind of backwards. Back 30 years ago, the inmates ran the prison. It was crazy. And, but today Mm -hmm. it's all locked down, but they have no programs. It makes no sense, you know? Right, right, right now, right now, everything is 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 a is a controlled environment. There's controlled movement. There's controlled feedings. I mean, you know, at least you know, with the COVID that happened, you know, last year. Like I said, I recently just got out. They had just started to release, you know, Osborne Correctional Facility, where you know we were getting recreation in the yard and we were getting the use of the gym and stuff like that. But as far as programs, no. I mean, you had church services, but there's, there's, you know, not that much NA. There's not that much AA. And you've got to figure, uh, Joe, that 80 or 85% of the population is, 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 is the crimes are, are because of drugs. You know? Yeah. So, it's yeah, amazing. It's amazing that I got a guy on the line who actually remembers me. <laughs> 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 hey, uh, I'm going to take a caller here real quick. Uh, let's see. Let me take uh, 509. He's from exactly across the country in Washington State. I think this is him. Go ahead, uh, 509. Hey, Joe. What's happening, man? How you doing? I believe you did some time, too, right? Correct? Oh, yeah. I've, I've, done, uh, I've done my fair share. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, let me tell you, man, it, it's crazy how <clears throat> how they do that stuff. Like, uh, I just had a delivery uh, come up. That's why I was quiet for a second. A guy, you know, I'm covered in tattoos, pro-white tattoos, and the guy looks like, looks like you've done some time, too. And I said, mm-hmm. Um, but your caller's absolutely right. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> they, they don't have any type of programs in there whatsoever. Uh, none. Nothing to help you learn a trade. Uh, to be productive when you get out, absolutely nothing. Um, now, I don't know if they still do it now, but when I was in, one of the things that they were offering uh, was culinary schooling, uh, help you get a culinary arts degree. <clears throat> and I encouraged all the, young, the youngins, uh, anybody from you know, 16, 17, 18, uh, to participate in this because I was like, you know, I got a culinary uh, degree. And the sky's the limit. The, the one thing that there's always a demand for is food. Um, <clears throat> and when you got that, you can go to any restaurant in this country, fine dining, uh, anything, and they will hire you, and they will pay you damn good. I became a homeowner at 22 years old uh, because of, of that that I did. Wow. Um, but he's right though. There, there's absolutely no fucking programs in there to help you. Yeah. And it's hey, almost Joe. like what they try. Yeah. No, yeah. I, well, I wanted to say, uh, Joe, did they have culinary, uh, there in the Connecticut prisons? Well, listen, you know, you remember, like I remember, you used to be able to get into certain things, whether it was plumbing, electrical, oh, yeah. or, or welding, or auto body, and you would be state certified. And that certificate mm-hmm carried a lot of weight. But like this gentleman is talking about, you know, he has culinary out where he is, but as I was saying earlier, when I was in Rhode Island, it's a complete difference. They had everything there. They had everything there. And and, and they leave wow. you leave there with with everything that you need. You know, it, 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 it's such a difference between, you know, night and day. You know, where where is the money going that's that's wanted per per inmate per year? You know, where is it that's going? It's going you're into their pocket. Me, I couldn't agree with you more. You're not going to tell me that I, I burn up whatever, the, whatever it is now. I think it's like $46,000. Yeah. 
Uh, right. I'm not using in, in, in water. Um, when I was up at Osborne, I got a little job so I could, you know, keep a little commissary. You know, I worked in the kitchen. Well, we sure the hell wasn't eating it. You know, that I can tell you. <laughs> well, see, check yeah. this out. Where I was, you you couldn't get into the uh, the kitchen staff uh, unless you were black. It, it doesn't matter uh, how qualified you were uh, to cook, uh, nothing. If you weren't black, you weren't on the food team. Now, one of the things that they had, which I knew uh, was some shady corrupt shit, was uh, they had a, um, a butcher shop uh, where the, uh, the COs, they'd go deer hunting and shit. They'd bring their deer in, and you'd do everything, you know, make deer jerky, stuff like that. And then they had a wood pile where all you did from 7 a.m. Uh, till 5 p.m. is split wood and stack wood. And what uh, this particular prison, uh, SCI, uh, Sussex Correctional Institute, did was with the wood, they would bundle it, sell it to the public, which is illegal in, in the state that I was in. And then with the butcher shop, they would turn around and sell it in commissary uh, to the inmates to make more money off of it. And uh, Warden Edels was his name, uh, who, uh, who ran SCI. And, and this man was just a bona fide piece of shit. I mean, if he came on and you even looked at him, you'd get shackled. They'd take you outside and make you go to the wood pile, and you'd have to pick a log. You know, you're shackled, everything. And you'd have to roll this log around the parking lot until they told you to stop. Now, if you grabbed a small one uh, or, or, you know, a normal size big one, they'd make you grab the smallest one. And for 12 hours, you're out in that parking lot, bent over, hunched over, just rolling that fucking thing. Uh, how, this, how did they this, make uh, you do that? How, how did they make you do that? Uh, because, you know, w- without the inmates uprising, did they have that much control? I mean, Joe, Joe in Connecticut, like we talked about that briefly, the inmates ran the prison. Do they, can they make mm-hmm. inmates do that and get away with it? No, but, but like, like this gentleman was saying, it wasn't, it wasn't a log thing, but they, they'll take you, they'll take you to, to segregation in, in, mm-hmm. in, a blink of an, in a blink of an eye. Now, I know I got, I got some shit uh, because I tried to encourage <clears throat> all the inmates, you know, to, to fucking speak up against this shit, you know, file complaints. And, uh, yeah, watch, they put yeah, watch me in the Eddie, Eddie, be careful. To, Eddie, the, watch the uh, F word, please. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got you, Joe. Um, they, right. they put me in the hole for 30 days for inciting a demonstration. That, that's what yeah, they called course. it. For me trying to get these people to file complaints to make it to where they can't do this stuff no more, uh, they put me in the hole for 30 days for inciting wow. a demonstration. Well, so, so basically everybody was, was their sissies now in there, the inmate population compared to years ago. What happened? What changed the inmate population? It's kind of like society in a way. We've gotten soft, oh, yeah. right? Well, oh, yeah. it's, not society. it's not society's gotten soft, Joe. It's, 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 a, it's, a, new, it's a new age of, of, of inmate. And it's a new it's a new breed of criminal. You yeah. know, oh, things, yeah. things, things, things things have changed. I mean, you know, we all did the, you know, stealing cars and 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 boosting and you know whatever else we did back in the day, and and you know that's what it was. But now there was a code of honor. There was a code of honor oh, among yeah. thieves. I guess you say. Right, right, and you definitely Pretty don't much. see that today. You definitely no, you do not don't. see that today. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I knew I knew one guy in there who's you know getting ready to come home in August, you know, and and he's been he's been locked about thirty three, and 
And and that was the only dude I talked to because I know this guy and, and I know where he stands. You know, it, <clears> well, it's, you know what's really it's, messed up is when they go to release you, right, in the process and everything, and they're getting ready to have you go change your clothes. And the first thing, this is what they said to me, and, and this really, you know, still doesn't set right with me. And they, they looked at me and said, we'll see you again. Because what they do by not offering any of these programs, I mean, you, you got one choice when you, when you get out. You got no place to go. You got no income. Uh, you don't. You, you can't feed yourself. So what do you do? Oh, well, you, you go back to what you know. Yeah, <laughs> you you have what I need, and I'm going to take it. <laughs> yeah. That scares me. And, and, that scares me, Joe and, and Eddie. Uh, that scares me. You know what? Because I'm thinking of myself being in there and being released and being out. Well, I'm looking at what I have now, and losing mm-hmm. it all, and then and then being you know, and then having to go inside and come back out, and I've got nothing. What do right, I? They do? don't even yeah, do like halfway houses anymore. You know, uh, like a transitional place that you go to um, to help you get on your feet, and as they call it, you know, be a productive, taxpaying member of society. Yeah. They don't do that. The the prison system is designed um, to get you in, to keep you in, and then make it almost impossible for you to function upon release, just so that you will intentionally f up and come back. Yeah. Now, aren't we seeing a change in that, though, Eddie and Joe, now? Aren't we seeing, like, the defund the police and defund this? I mean, what's going on here? People are saying that you can pretty much get away with anything now. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. they're emptying the prisons out. Is that true? Or what's going on? Joe, you were just released. Uh, what do you think? Well, you know, like I said, you know, earlier, the, the things that they offer me, you know, and, uh, you know, thank God, you know, our, our significant friend, uh, you know, Dr. Peter Ventura, you know, was 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 nice enough, you know, to to come and grab me up and 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 open his house up to me, and you know what they gave they they, all, they asked me if I needed a, a bus transfer. That was the only thing they gave me. They gave me the they gave me the paperwork to fill out for my food stamps. But how do I do Basically, that? I didn't I didn't yeah. I didn't you know they don't they don't sell Mac computers at, you know in commissary. Oh and, hell no! And then they gave me they gave me a two one one call. Which is which is the emergency helpline in the state of Connecticut to find a place to live in case I needed one, and they're like, well, the closest shelter the closest shelter to you is, you know, is is down in Hartford, down in Hartford. Look, I'm 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 55 miles away from Hartford. That's a that's a right. you know, that's a hike. That's a hike. And it sucks you know, even the, more when you when you've got probation because uh, the way they look at it is if you can't provide them an address to come and check on you in, then they'll provide you one for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the jail. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and with parole, as you were speaking about, you know, you know, what's wrong with the parole system is parole, when you get out, the day you get out, you need to be there that day. Not the next right. day. You need to be. You need to be that there that day. So see. What about jobs, you know, Joe and Eddie? What about jobs? You know, you have a record. You have a record now. You're a felon. You're a convicted felon. Uh, well, where that. do you go for work? Nobody wants to hire a convicted felon, do they? Today, I mean, temp I don't agency. know. I mean, that's the only thing you can do is try and get your foot in the door at a temp agency and hope to God that it becomes permanent. Right. Wow. I came home in two thousand. I came home in two thousand seventeen, Joe and Eddie. You know. And and when I tell you that I literally put in eighty five job applications, 
I put in a, everybody's hiring. Help wanted. Help wanted. You know, look, I got a record. I got right. I got a record. And 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 the, the 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 big the big bid that I did, you know, that was for something serious. And you know, um, it, it was just like, no, we can't hire you because of, uh, you know. And you know. Oh yeah, again, yeah. That's exactly that how they do it, though. And and that's what I mean. I I agree with Joe when he first talked about this. Uh, I think a couple of days ago, and I told him, I said, you know, it's not very often I'll say this publicly, but I agree with you, Joe. Uh, the, the prison yeah. system is designed uh, to beat you down, stomp you down, and then make you come back. Uh, and and yeah. nobody can prove you know, nobody can prove otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why do you yeah. why do you why do you think they why do you think they said we'll see you? Was because right. they they're setting they're setting you up to fail. They're mm-hmm. setting you up to fail, and that's and that's all. And what's that doing. say about now? We see the the attacks on police. We see the attacks on society. We see the uh, you know, look, the guy gets out of jail. Man, he's lost. He doesn't know. And especially the ones we did on solitary confinement last night. We did a special mm-hmm. on solitary confinement. Guys that are in solitary for years, and they oh, say yeah. the damage this does to people. The damage of of paranoia, not trusting people, post traumatic stress Joe disorder. That should be yeah. in itself a violation of basic human rights because they do that Why shit on yeah. purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, this, Why isn't, the law changing, isn't the law changing that, that, that there's now uh, only a length of time that they can keep you in there and then they have to let you out? And then I think there's a certain age that they don't even, they don't even go to segregation or isolation anymore. Some some states have that, um, but a lot of them don't just because, you know, I, I, I went through hell uh, when I was behind the wire just because, you know, the COs and everybody, they, they, they knew who I was. They knew what I was. And, uh, you know, to them, I, I was the biggest threat. I mean, you know, just about every, every two days I'm having my cell tossed um, yep. just to fuck with me and to piss me off. And, of course, you know, they don't put nothing yep. back. You know, they tear the whole place up and then say, clean it up. Um, and I'm yeah. like, you know, what yeah. the fuck, dude? I mean, I even told Joe they fucked with uh, with my phone. You know, they they disabled my uh, my SBI number, so I can't make outgoing calls. So nobody what, else so, had that problem but me. Uh, Joe, you were designated as a security risk group uh, threat member or or gang member or a, mon- or a regular monitor member. What were you th- uh, designated as? I, I, it all it all it all started because, like like Eddie was saying, uh, you know, I'm covered with tattoos myself. And uh, I keep my head bald, and I happen to be working out with a, a group of guys. And, you know, they had no problem telling you because that's exactly who they were. Um, you know, they labeled me as, as being a member of, of, of the Aryan Brotherhood. Oh, and, yeah, got to love it. And, and, yeah, and yeah. you know, no, you're, lo, you're scratched. Lo and behold, as, you know, the, the administration changed, and, you know, we had that one guy, um, I think his name was uh, Meacham. Uh, Meacham, you know, he Meacham. In, Yeah, and he met with the heads of, of the prisons and said, look, you, you lost control of your prisons. You need to take them back. You know, when they used to come and get you out of your cell, you know, they'd come with a couple guys, give you a can of spray. Look, now they come, it's like a paramilitary team. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. You know, Riot shields, body armor, <laughs> beanbag guns. <laughs> Bear mace cans. Oh, you fucking name it. <laughs> they got yeah. this, plastic, this plastic shield up there, 
that's got sorry Joe. You know, sorry, sorry. That's uh, all right, Joe. I, I kept yeah, using yeah. the F word. I apologize. It's <laughs> well, we got it's we a few women enhanced. listening on the line, and they're you know, yep. and a couple with children. Yep. And just that's in case. why I, I, that's wanna... why I figured. So you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, all right, that's no problem. But go, go ahead, uh, Joe. I'm sorry. So like I was saying, they, you know, they, they have they got a shield up there that's got like these wire strips on it, and it's, oh, it's yeah. curved yep. and, and got handles on the back of it. And when they hit your cell, you know, they, they're one behind each other, and, and they got their arms locked in each other, and they run you up against the back wall with this shield, and, and, they, and they light it up. And, and you know, it, it, wow. it'll do a few things to you. It'll do a few things to you, you know. Yeah. But today, but today uh, Joe, you said the gangs are pretty much non-existent anymore in the prisons yeah. up there. I, I mean, yeah, it's a different. You know, what's going on? I mean, did Connecticut, I guess, flip the script? I mean, you're talking 30 years ago. I mean, I know Peter can vouch for that. Back 30 years ago, they were pulling bodies out of there. They were lighting inmates on fire, you know? They were Indians running around. Yeah, of course there was. I mean, you know, we remember a time when, you know, when summers, you know, there was was two ambulances parked outside 24-7. You know, yeah. those dudes were going out of there every single day. You know, it was it was yeah. nothing to be in the cell block and hear the Lifestar helicopter coming in. But you know, like yeah. I said, when Meacham came in, when Meacham came in, he dismantled everything. He dismantled yeah. everything, and and anybody that was anybody, you know, you were gone. You didn't have yeah. to worry about a visit or anything like that. You were getting shipped. You were getting shipped out of state. Da 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 da, and and what was you know, the one they shipped everybody to down in Virginia? It was Rollins. Was it called Rollins? Walden's Ridge. Walden's, Walden's Ridge. Ridge. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then that 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 became a, a crap show when when they killed that kid uh, uh, Tracy from Bridgeport. They they, okay. they hit him with the they, they hit him with the stun gun, and they stopped his heart. Wow. And they stopped this. So then these guys started filing the, the stuff that they wanted to do, and then Connecticut was ready to take them all back. And these guys were like, nah. You know, some of them got shipped to, you know, Virginia Penitentiary, and, and they were living life. It, it was a complete well, let me get this. Thing. Let me play devil's advocate here. You got the people out there that say, you know what? You guys are inmates. You're inmates. So what? You do your time, shut up, deal with it. You know what? It's not supposed to be a picnic. You know, uh, you know what? You, you know, you, you're you you you're convicted to eight years. You broke the law, or ten years, or Joe, you got ten years to do, or Eddie, you got ten years to do. Go do your time. Right. That's it. You know what? And, and you don't like it too bad. Deal with it. Let be thankful you're not working on the chain gang. You know, uh, you know. So, you know, what, 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 why, why, why is that wrong? No, I, I get that argument, guys. I, I do. Uh, you know, you you messed up. <laughs> you you know, you're in here. Uh, but even then, there, there's basic human rights in, in a way, you know, you yes. treat people. Now, like I said, I know, I know being incarcerated, it's not supposed to be a picnic. It's supposed to be, by design, a terrible experience to deter you from wanting to come back whenever you need a vacation. Um, but at the same time, the COs, meaning the prison staff, they wonder why uh, mm-hmm. they get attacked like they do well you know when you come in and you treat people like piles of crap um yeah. when you know you got somebody in that's just for you know let's say uh failure to pay child support right and he's yep. being treated like like he's some fucking you know pardon my language some freaking murderer or a child rapist that, yeah. that's completely uncalled for because i know i attacked the co when i first got put in 
uh, because I asked the CEO if I could keep the picture of my daughter. And, you know, it was her six-month-old photo. She's just a baby. And the CEO looked yeah. at me in reception and said, you're not here because you fondled your kid, are you? And I attacked him. Now, granted, oh, they, they tackled me like a, you know, like I was a, you know, a wide receiver That's and I got the football. <laughs> um, but they didn't talk to me like that again, and I got to keep the picture of my child. Bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> now, so, this, you know, whole world, this prison way. life, this prison life, it's yeah. a whole other world, right? It How is. do and you if you've come never out experienced, you won't know. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's the thing. How do you come out knowledgeable and know the Constitution and be a patriot or, mm-hmm. or come out and, and, and understand the problem? I mean, because you're locked away from, in an entire different world, and you guys are pretty much describing it. Your first course right. and means is survival. Survival yeah, when you absolutely. get out. You don't care who's running for office, who's, run, who's a politician right. here, what's going on, right? Right, uh, absolutely. Your first thought is shelter, food, sleep. And and even then, it took me a couple of months just to get used to, you know, eating with a a spoon and a fork and not having to use a spork. Um, I mean, people laugh at that, but, you know, that's a real thing. Or whenever you hear a loud noise, you jump up and you're, like, ready to go because, you know, you're still in that mindset that, hey, somebody's, you know, coming into your cell, let's go. (laughs) Or you reach across somebody's food tray or at a restaurant or whatever, and you, and you look at or some, you see somebody doing that, and that's fi- that's a fight in prison. That's a fight. You're right, going to stab. Yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So, what do you think, Joe? Like, like like Eddie was saying, you know, when you when you first come out, I mean, I was gone just for a year, but you know, I'm not going to lie. I came home and ate a real real big piece of meat. <laughs> yeah, right. Just, no shit. You know, and it, and it was like, wow. I just took a lot of stuff for granted. A lot of right. stuff for granted. You know, wow. so it, it's like wow. it, it's like you were saying, Joe. It's 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 a society inside of a society, and people it that is. that are people that are listening to this program right now. Okay, we're 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 convicts, we're inmates, we're we're criminals, whatever you want to consider us. But you know what? We're still human beings. True. And 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 we you know. Deserve to be well, not deserve to be, but should be treated with with some sort of, you know, just a little bit of dignity. But they take well, how about they this? Take... How about this? You do your crime. You did the crime. You did your time. America is the land of second chances. You get out. That's it. Yep. You get a, a clean slate. That's how it should be. But that's not but true. The stigma that, that's not of being true. in jail. The stigma of being in jail is just terrible. I'm going to bring on Dr. Peter Ventura here. I think he wants to jump in here too. Right. Uh, but, um, that should be the case, you know, if you do the crime, you do the time, and you should get a second chance because, you know, this is the land of opportunity, you would think. But unfortunately, you know, that's, that's just not the case. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's crazy. Now, the only people I could give, you know, two craps less on how they get treated is if you're a kitty fiddler, a rapist, or, or you know, you, know you, you went on a, you know, a killing spree, then by all means, you know, you deserve to be treated like you are. But if you're in there for, like, petty shit or, you know, an assault because of an argument, there's a certain level of, hey, you know, you're not on well, the same category well, well, as a murderer. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is that we have different categories for crimes, but that's why you're given right. a sentence. Like, look, if you're charged with such and such, you're given 10 years. You do 10 years, you get out. Right. 
that stigma of being in prison or or your charge, you got to kind of give the person a clean slate. I mean, you got to say, right. hey, you would think. you know, you got to hire them and give them a shot, right? I mean, you can't. I mean, <laughs> unless it's a life sentence. I think P, uh, 203 wants to jump in here. I keep bouncing around my board. I'm going to connect them. Go ahead, 203. Yeah, I I had Joe on there. I had us on the three way, and I was sitting back listening, and we got he's disconnected here, and I tried to. Joe's on. Yeah, he's still there. How that happened? All right. <laughs> so, hey man, so I look back. I said, I got to go back and connect this. I don't know what happened. Okay. That's why. I came well, what's your thought on the on the so, pres- Well, while well, I got well, you, know, what, do you have any this, opinion? I'm hearing about the FC. I'm hearing about that FCI. What state was that FCI? And they were busting up wood. Uh, that was in the uh, the East Coast in Delaware. Uh, our doctor, I told this to Joe, um, it, you know, he, our, that prison got hit with a series of lawsuits uh, because the uh, the uh, prison doctor was uh, sexually assaulting and raping uh, the male inmates. Uh, the male inmates gave him the nickname Dr. Feelgood, and uh, that quickly got swept under the rug. Now, the news briefly reported on it for, you know, a day, and then you never heard anything else after that. I mean, it right, is a bad right. prison. Let me tell you what. <laughs> yeah, I know a little bit about the federal prison system. I served from 1983 to 2010. I've been to 17 prisons across the country, from Lewisburg to Terre Haute to Oklahoma, Reno, Memphis, Tennessee, Talladega, up to Oxford, Wisconsin, up to Raybrook, New York. I kicked around a little bit. I know a little bit about the system. Right. Yeah. Well, what have you seen? What, well, what, what can you give us any inside information of how they've changed, or what can and, they? And, I mean, and and some and some statements. Well, Connecticut became a model for, for gang control. That's what happened there. And oh, uh, you know, the guy argue. that came in, and the guy that came in after was uh, 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 Armstrong. Armstrong. Huh. Armstrong. And then you had Meacham. Who was the, who was the last guy? The last guy became. The uh, before the before uh, Teresa the Lance guy he became uh, before Teresa Lance was uh, what's his name he he came in from Massachusetts. I don't know who you're talking and he about. Be, he became uh, he became the head of the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq. Oh wow! He was in wow. charge. They sent him over there. But the prison system, huh. you know, some of the federal prisons. Hey, listen, if you're from a foreign country and you're working in the factory and you're making 360 bucks a month and you're sending that overseas, that money, that's looking pretty good for you and your family. You're doing okay. Your family's doing okay in a foreign country. But there, but as the violence rate, you know, the prisons aren't the same. When we went in in 1983, you know, in Connecticut uh, summers, they were, they were sending their bad guys up to Walpole, Mass., because that was even worse than Connecticut. And Walpole was sending their guys down to Connecticut to, so we – to be controlled, and uh, Rhode Island was kicking their guys out all over the federal system to get them out. And so, wow. uh, you know, you know, you were there. They, you know, they were we carrying a body a week out of some of these places. Uh, when I returned yeah. back to Connecticut before I was released, uh, you know, you were able to sit on the toilet with both legs in your pants. You know, when, when we first started, you know, when we first started the bid in Connecticut, they, you know, the officers were on a roof with shotguns. They had no qualms about capping somebody. Uh, Terre, Terre Haute, Indiana, in the hallways, you know, there's signs that say when shots are fired, sit down. So some of these prisons, they don't have a quarrel about killing you. So, uh, and 
you know, we, so we, how do we, we, we these guys get back that. out in society, Peter? These guys get back out in society. How does society deal with them? I mean, I mean, this is, this is who you want as your next door neighbor. I mean, you want somebody that's re, that's getting another chance, that learns something, right? No, I mean, listen, I, I I was able to, by the grace of God, to go to school, you know, become a paralegal, and uh, uh, was able to go to Ohio University. But other guys don't have that same opportunity. And then I went on in my life to get. Uh, you know, uh, a bachelor's, a master's, and two doctorates. And so, you know, amen. You know, I just give that credit to God. It's nothing that I myself have done uh, uh, to achieve. I just believe the Lord blessed me in those things. But uh, a person coming out, and even with that stuff, you know, uh, you're not going to go downtown and get a job working in as an executive officer somewhere. And so there's the problem is this. I'm, I'm a, I pastor a church, and I have uh, many guys that I'm helping that are coming out of prison I have a prison ministry where I have uh, uh, 18 guys right now that are studying for an associate's degree in theology by CD. I can't get them into other prisons around the country, but I can get them in certain areas. And I have, you know, 20 other prisoners that are working on discipleship courses. In the meantime, I got guys coming out. I got a guy that's on parole now. I got him a job the day he walked out. His parole officer wouldn't approve the job for over 90 days. Let's touch upon that now. Let's touch upon that, Peter. He's on parole, and from what I hear from from private conversations, that these parole officers are terrible. They won't give you no chance. You report. Tell us some stories about this. I mean, you don't have to give any names or anything. Well, this particular individual started out without a GPS monitor on him. In, In certain places of Connecticut, you have to, when you come out, they'll put you on a GPS for six months to 90 days is required. Uh, depending on the severity of your crime. And so some of these guys are, were, you know, uh, out without these. You know, the particular one guy that I'm working with now, uh, of the of many, he didn't have one on for 90 days. All of a sudden, after 90 days, he was able to go anywhere he wanted, uh, to eat where he wanted, to visit who he wanted, as long as he was yep. back in, in his uh, housing program by 8 o'clock. After 90 days of that freedom, they came back and they put a GPS on the guy and told him you can't go anywhere. Wow. So the guy turned around and looked at me and said, he said, Peter, I feel like I'm going backwards here. I might as well go back to prison. I can't work. So his parole officer called him today and said, listen, we're going to have a home visit tomorrow. Now, she's in, she's in Waterbury, Connecticut. He's up in working in Hartford. He lives in Waterbury. He's working in Hartford. And on Tuesday, yep. he's got to be at the parole office by 2 o'clock. All the way from Hartford. There's no way he can get a bus. So if he doesn't have a vehicle, he's in. And if he doesn't show up, he's violated. So every Tuesday I've been picking him up, you know, and hauling him down there to his parole office and, and, and the program. But she called last today and told this guy, this isn't a kid, he's 50 years old, told him, tomorrow I'm doing a home visit and you have to be home. And he said, man, I'm losing hours coming down there for the program and for my parole visit once a week. He said, now you want me to be home tomorrow. How many more hours can I lose, and how long will my boss let me just keep leaving work? And she said, that's not my problem. That's yours. You be there. Wow. Wow. No. You know, you see, this is the problem we run into. Uh, the, now, you this, take Ray. This. Remember Ray? Yeah. You remember yeah. Ray? Well, look at, well, look the at show, Ray. Yes. He, did. He, finally got, he finally got so mad, he went and he filed a, a, a habeas corpus and went before the judge sentenced him. And told him, do me a favor, would you please re- put, send me to prison? And the judge said, what are you talking about? You're not on parole. He said, listen, I can't do parole with these people. I have no freedom. I'm worse, I'm worse off out here than I was in there. I can't hold a job. i got to pay for my own programs. 
if I can't have a job, I can't have food. I can't find a place to live. And the judge told the probation part, what's he talking about? And he said, well, we make him pay for the program. He said, not this guy. Now you pay for it. That's what they told him. You know? Well, that's an yeah. exception. Well, I mean, you know, well, yeah. So, and, I mean, and like, I was looking to income, the other fellow you know? talking. He said, he said one of the hardest things was eating, eating with a spoon, you know, the sports. And, and that's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm snickering at that. That's kind of funny. But the hardest thing for me was walking on the street. On a sidewalk that wasn't that was was not straight because I'd been on a flat ground for 26 years. I had walked on flat ground, and when I got, I forgot about it, and I almost got killed several times because you forget there's cars out there after 26 years. You just you just step out and you know like you're walking, you forget there's cars. And those are challenges people wow. don't even think about. Those are personal and emotional challenges. And then I'm sitting in my room. I got a one room I finally rented, and like that fellow's correct. About the temporary service, it was a temp service that got me into a place, and, and those people loved me because I worked so hard. Because I, you know, I I'd scrape bubble gum off the street to stay out, and and so uh, I'm working the temp jobs, and I and I finally got a place, and I'm sitting in my room after after all those years, and I'm alone. I've never been alone in my life in 26 years. There's always either a cellmate, there's somebody in that door you could talk to, somebody a vet, there's a cop walking by, somebody's there, and now I'm sitting at the end of my bed and I'm crying like a baby. I don't even know what I'm crying about. I've never been alone. Wow! Wow! So what do you, you know? So what, and, and, so, I mean, so, well, well, how did you how did you cope? How did you pull through it? I mean, for so other people can uh, uh, can learn from your story. Well, the first thing I did was I purposed in my heart that I wasn't going back. It didn't matter what it took to make it. I'm going to make it. If I had to eat, eat dog do off the streets, you know, I'm going to make mm-hmm. it. But i i went to uh, I went to a church. And I got hooked up with the uh, White Oak Baptist Church in Stratford, Connecticut, Pastor Peaslack. And he saw, you know, I had some uh, theological studies, and uh, he saw my heart was right. And he kind of, you know, helped He took me under his wing a little bit. He helped me out. And ex-cons helped me. It was a Christian brother that picked me up at the prison, took me, you know, out, got me out, got me some things that I needed. And I mean, he couldn't support me. He's got a wife and kid. I mean, you just can't move into somebody's house. And so uh, that helped, and, and really my faith in God, that's what really carried me through. And I believe Amen. that uh, my, Lord, my Lord and Savior carried me, and uh, God's ca- – you know, I've walked through a lot of places. You know, you get into Lewisburg and Terre Haute, Indiana, and you're walking through those level five institutions, and if you look at somebody, just look in their face, they might kill you because they figure you're either going to steal from them, you're going to rape them, or, or you're looking for a fight. And they're going to protect themselves in those places. And, and, you know, people were dying there. They were taking a body a week out of that place. And uh, so, you know, you, you come out with some emotional scars. And, it's bad. and you know, you're seeing violence in a level that, you know, and I'm a warrior. You're seeing violence in a level that uh, Joe could tell you because Joe and I cleaned the cell up one time. And I thank God Joe was there because, you know what? That cell was this guy had gotten beaten so bad in that cell. The cops wouldn't open the door. And, and his fingerprints were clawed into the paint along with the blood that was coming out of this guy. I seen less blood in homicides. And, you know, thank God Joe was there. And then, you know, that stuff had an effect. This was towards the end of the bit. I had seen all that killing and all that stuff. I seen people die for a pack of cigarettes, get their throats slit, all kinds of craziness. And I just, when we got to the end of the bid, and after that, Joe was there, and he went in, and he said, look, I got this. Just stand outside the cell. I'll hand you the stuff. And he went in, you know, and he cleaned up this stuff. That was our job. We were chairman. And he brought the stuff out. <laughs> You know, and I put it outside. But I'm going to tell you something. That really affected me emotionally about three days later. Through all I'd seen and walked through, 
it just really affected me. And 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 you come out of there with some emotional scars and and things that people don't understand. And I've never heard any of these wise guys, these smart mouths, who talk about how easy and how sweet it is in prison. I haven't heard any yeah. of them volunteer to come up with a couple nights with us. Have you? Right. I mean, it's such a lovely yeah. place. You know. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They're they're boiler pots. And and if you have listeners, here's a book I recommend them to read. Go tell them to read The Hate Factory, The New Mexican Riot. See if they think that was sweet. Okay? Attica was nice. Go read about Attica, Jimmy Breslin's articles from the New York Times. Investigate yeah. some of that stuff. There's Virginia. Some of those riots. I know you're dealing with men. Some men are brutal. And there are young guys in some of these prisons that have committed nonviolent crimes that are forced into these cells with these guys, and the classification's wrong. It's used for retaliation. There's a lot of bad stuff. But there is a resolution to some of this, and I've advocated this. And one standard for justice in the state of Connecticut, Cindy Prizio, has asked me to lead a committee on restorative justice, and, and I'm hesitant to step into any of that. I can't put my whole heart in it. But there is, there is something that, that can be done. You have a lot of rogue cops. A lot of these cops are worse than the inmates, okay? Yep. And, you know, they go home, they walk around, they prance around, they got that badge on, and it makes them a man. And then they go home, and their wife tells her, you know, go take the garbage out. And so the only place they can be a man is in the prison where they have control over somebody, some of these guys. And don't get me wrong, not every correctional officer in there is in there because he's looking to uh, get vengeance on some inmate. Uh, there are guys that went into corrections with the idea that they could help somebody. And there are a lot of Christian men that I met guards that really wanted to help somebody, and that's why they got into it. But they couldn't do what they wanted to do because they're partners. Because if they went on a call and they had their own partners who were mad at them, the rest of the cops, then they were alone on the call, and anything could happen. And they'd stand, you know, they'd stand down on them. So, but the brutality of it. But there is, we're in an age now where we have computers, we have videos, we have live streaming. When you take a system like the state of Connecticut, there's no reason why there can't be an oversight board that has access to video of the prison at all times. Because some of these prisons, you know, you take Cheshire, uh, uh, some of these prisons, the guards, there's two guards assigned to a unit. And as soon as the lieutenant makes his around, they leave, turn out the lights, and they put their feet up on the desk and go to sleep. And then when somebody, other officer comes around, somebody will call from the main office and say, you better wake up, they're coming up. And then they sit back up, and the cop does his other tour, and they go back to sleep. And meanwhile, the inmates are supposed to be getting recreation. They're not letting them out. They're sleeping. And nobody yeah, so, complains because yeah, you can So what? And a lot of these guys get out, and they're back in society now. Well, how you know when society breaks down or whatnot, or or whatever have you? I mean, you know, that's what we were talking about with second chances. You know, second chances. The stigma of having a record. You know, you, you, you're labeled for the rest of your life. They're, you're restricted. You still carry that sentence with you for the rest of your life, and that's not right. Right, right. And that's not right. What is the purpose of the prison? The purpose of the prison, the purpose of the sentence was your punishment. When your sentence is done, your rights should be restored. You go back into society just like anybody else. That's how yeah. it should be. That's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, why why is a person got to continue suffering that? I'm a felon, so so I paid the price for my felony. I don't owe anybody anything. I'm a free man. I'm walking now. I did that. That was the penalty. So why does society continue to punish the people? And that's your question. And that's, that's a good answer. Why? I don't know. Some states are trying to get around that. Some states say after so many years, they'll clean your record off. You stay clean. And uh, Connecticut's moving to a more of a commutation of sentence where they're getting you more onto uh, jobs. 
and where they give you a conditional pardon, and later on you come back and get a second pardon and get cleaned off. And so they're moving towards that. But then that's a cycle because we've seen this cycle from the 60s to the 70s to the 80s to the 90s, 2000 to, you know, and the cycle is this. We're going to go back to rehabilitating prisoners. And by the way, I've always told people I don't want to be rehabilitated. And I go to the pro board and say, you want to be rehabilitated? Are you rehabilitated? I say, no. And they say, well, what do you mean? And I say, listen, rehabilitated means being put in the place I was before it happened. And I don't want to be back there. That guy's going, hmm. Okay. So your your term of rehabilitation, you, 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 you're mistaken it. Yeah. And so even parole boards. You know, I go to, I went to a, here, here's a fabulous story for you. I go to the parole board and there's some guy in there and he's chewing me out and he's in my face. I can't figure out what's this guy's problem. I, I haven't done it, nor I'm a model prisoner. You know, I'm a jailhouse lawyer. Yeah. They don't like that, but I'm a model prisoner. I'm a preacher too in there and they don't like that. And so I, you know, I got Denny. I come back in a year, the guy's still there. He's screaming at me again. I went upstairs in the cell block, and I said to the guys, who is this guy? And they said, don't you know, he's, the, he's Detective so-and-so. He used to be a detective. And I said, what? Well, that mutt, he's the guy that arrested me in 1983. He's on the parole board. He's <laughs> being there. You know what the, I don't Joe, think you'll you know be getting paroled. <laughs> Joe, you know what well, the I did thing, too? Well, what's that, Joe? I, Hang I on, Joe. Joe, what's that, Joe? You know what's another thing, too? They they turned around and, and 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 they gave too much power to the to the Department of Corrections. You know, let alone even before you get out. Um, you know, yeah. turning around and, and bringing this fifty and eighty five percent thing in, into yeah. play. And you know, when when Roland when Governor Roland was was the governor here, and you know, October fourteenth of nineteen ninety four. You know, the good time. There there's there's no. Um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you, have, you have nothing to, to, to do the right thing. There's no incentive. No incentive. No incentive. Yeah. You, you know, you get guys that are doing sentences now that are doing five years, you know, ten years, and all they're doing is, is, is buying a flat screen TV and, and you know, and a disc player and, and going 75 deep in the store every week, and that's what they're doing. You know, wreck comes, yeah. you go to wreck, and, you come, and, you take a and shower. And you got the markup. Yeah. The markup, yeah. Shower. Yeah, and it's just, it's, 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 it's pitiful. It's really pitiful. So, you know, I remember it's an it, was, it, was, it was so easy to, to get into so many programs, and, and you wanted to get involved with, with whatever you could possibly be. Like Peter, you know, Peter got his, his paralegal, you know, in, 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 uh, in, in Connecticut, you know, I was I was blessed. You know, the Lord, uh, you know, a college came. But they don't have them no college. more. They don't have them no more. Those no. programs you're saying, they don't have them. Yeah. No, Connecticut doesn't, but Rhode Island does. But you know, I was I was lucky enough. You know, I got into a thing. I and I was able to obtain an associate's degree in, in ministry and theology. And 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 you know, there was things to do. There was there was NA meetings. There was this. There was that. There was art classes. You, you took it all away in the state of Connecticut, and now all you're doing is warehousing people, like you said earlier in the program. It's just a well, they've big closed, warehouse. They, they, they've closed a lot of prisons in the state of Connecticut. They closed Northern. Um, and, you know, people should thank people like Cindy Prizio because she, she stood up. She has a suffrage in prison. She's been fighting hard. And she, she was instrumental in helping get Northern closed. Northern was the supermax. And, you know, oh, yeah. in Northern, they, they put guys in the cell. You know, different gang members and the cops would, you know, they'd be betting on them who's going to come out. 
You know, it's kind of like yeah. Texas, the big hunt. You know, in that Texas, in the rec yard. That's the what they were doing the rec yard, Peter. They were giving them. They were uh, cuffing one guy and not cuffing the other, and then they they uncuff themselves and fight. You know, in the rec yard. You know, crazy. Yeah. Hey Joe, yeah. That's, so that's, it, how, that's how that incident that, that Peter that, that Peter and I were talking about that that, yeah. that we had to clean up that we had to clean up in it. You know, at, at that time it was two different factions were called gangs. And you literally took a gang that's beeping with this other gang, and you put that man in that cell with this that's guy. That's crazy. That's crazy. And, and how, yeah. you know, how did you not know that this guy was this, you know, SRG, this guy was the other SRG, and they're not supposed to be together. They're not yeah. supposed to be together. They didn't care. They didn't care. You know? Well, it was wide open. Yeah, it was wide open during those days. I mean, look at the riots. I mean, look at the riots in the, all across the country. I mean, you know, it was just insanity. You know, I mean, look at Carl Robinson, 1994. You know. Yep. Yep. The guy, the guy that was just on talking with us. I hope he's still on. You know, he's been to the FCIs, and really, you know what? Some of those FCIs, in spite of all the brutality, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in those places too. Just because they're a little lower level institution, you know, uh, Oxford, Wisconsin is you know a uh, level three, four, and you still get killed in those places. And some of those FCIs are, are terrible. But you know what? The the federal system in itself, compared to Connecticut, I mean, when I I went to uh, in Oxford, Wisconsin, and all these places, Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, uh, El Reno was probably a little cheesy. But uh, in, in some of these F- FCIs, you, you got a salad bar in there. I mean, they, feed, they were feeding the guys pretty good. Uh, you know, European people and people from Asia never even went to the main line. They ate off the salad bars. They had, you know, tomatoes, lettuce, cheese, and, and soups and, uh, um, you know, fresh vegetables. And you could work. Hey, you could get a job in the factory there if you got in the factory. I was the secretary, actually a clerk. It was. I didn't call him secretary. In the uh, in in Raybrook, New York, and I was making about three hundred twenty bucks a month. You could make some money if you want to really work in a factory. They were doing piecework for making gloves in in Wisconsin. They make wiring harnesses for the military tanks and different stuff. And so. Uh, you know, but you take New Hampshire, which is a private, you know, not private, but state prison. And New Hampshire, even New Hampshire has greater programs available. You could get an ASE mechanic. They've got a mechanic shop right there. They bring the cars in, and they work on them there. They train the guys. And you, you could leave with something. I mean, you're not giving yeah. anybody any tool. And so people need tools yeah. to help them to educate themselves to change their lives. The yeah, but you have to convey prison, that trade. Peter, you have to convey that. Just because yeah. they learn the trade yeah. once they're released, you have to have somebody that's willing to take them in, you know? There's well, no there's you know, no bridge. That, when you have that piece of paper, you got something up on the rest of the guys coming out. You come out with an ASE mechanic, a uh, certified mechanic, you, you're going to find a job somewhere. Somebody's going to hire you. Even if it's not at the greatest pay grade, you're going to get a job. All right? It's an opportunity well, that a guy's not going yeah. to get who doesn't have any. And a lot of guys are, are, are some of it's their own fault. And you have to understand this too. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ninety-five percent of guys in state prison have an eighth-grade education. Ninety-five percent. Think about that. Eighth-grade education. You start talking into the federal system. You're talking about white-collar crime. You're talking about doctors, lawyers. You're talking about you know even the El Reno, Oklahoma. They had a judge, a federal judge, who'd been convicted of a crime. I was with Jimmy Hoffa's lawyer tweet up in Wisconsin. He was running the uh, Central Mechanical Services as a clerk. And so, you know, it's a different caliber uh, 
until you get into the different levels, and then you get into the supermaxes, you know, Pelican Bay and that stuff, then you're in real trouble, um, you know. But overall, there are some prisons in the country do have some programs that do give an inmate an opportunity. They're all not slums. But there was a time, you know, like Texas Estelle, if you look up the Estelle case, they had building tenders, and they were inmates, and they ran the prison. The guards didn't. They had clubs. They were killing people. They were burying inmates in the backyard. Arkansas, too. People, A lot of people don't know that happened in the 60s and 70s. And they found all those bodies of inmates buried in the back behind the prison. And their people would call and say, you know, we're looking for our son. Where is it? And they said, oh, he, he discharged, you know. But one of the building tenders clubbed him. And so that was a big case. Uh, that was, you know, a lot of people don't understand the kind of stuff that goes on. And you got to remember, you're coming out of some of these places. You just want to survive. You've seen enough of violence. You've seen enough of oppression. You just want to survive. Man. You don't want to tangle with anybody. But some guys come out mean, and they come out hard. And the reason is is because of the treatment. It's, it's, a, it's a, a place where it's monotony. You know, in Connecticut, we ate cake. Joe, you guys got to be able to know this. We ate the same cake every other day, every other morning, whether it was the white cake or the brown cake. That was on the breakfast tray for over 26 years. The same yeah. breakfast. And the same routine. Yeah. Still is. Still is. You know? Yeah, it's, same it, routine. It, it, yeah, it's, it, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's constant repetition. Nothing ever, nothing ever changes. You know, me personally, I, I think the first thing that needs to be addressed with, with, with prison systems in the state of Connecticut is 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 drug treatment. Is drug treatment. You know, you, you, you got to remember, like I said earlier, you know, eighty eighty five percent, you know, had some sort of some sort of addiction. You know, they have yeah. they have oh. they have they have a they have a, uh, they have a methadone program uh, where okay. I was. And, and it, yeah, know, what, about this? Seat- what about this? In Connecticut, they have a methadone program, too. And you know what they do? A methadone program is supposed to step you down, not right. continue your habit. It's supposed right. to bring you down. There are people in Connecticut that have been in the methadone program for eight to ten years, go every every yeah. morning to get their fix. You know yeah. why? Yeah. And, and, nobody's follow- and nobody's following that through. Nobody's complaining about the drug addicts aren't complaining about it. But what, what I heard, though, the- Peter, I heard that you can't get off that stuff, that that's a physical addiction. No, you can get you off. Know? It's a step down. You can get off. It's a step down. You can step down. It's just like a cigarette. You can step down. And listen, like a, they say cigarettes, cigarettes like a are more addictive. They it's say like a nicotine. nicotine. You start, you start yeah, at one level. Nicotine, nicotine is worse than heroin to come off of. No, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I, <laughs> I, I, heroin, you've seen, I mean, they, they're, that's a body. Their bodies are physically and chemically dependent upon that heroin, you know? Yeah. And I mean, if they, get, if they get come off of it, Peter, they get sick and go into shock sometimes, you know? Yeah. Well, sometimes you can, yeah. Even alcohol, for that fact. Well, the alcohol, too, okay. yeah. But, but it's a step. It's Methadone is supposed to be a... Uh, 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 not a, a continual habitual thing. It's supposed to bring you down. It's supposed to, if you read the guidelines, it's supposed you know to bring something, you Peter? Let me ask a, you this. Let me ask you this, Peter. So less, what? How about this? If people want to use drugs, why not make it legal? Why not let them have it? You know, as long as you don't hurt nobody else. Who are they hurting? Themselves. Don't preach that it's good, but let them have it. You know, why ban it and make it a, a crime so that we got to put them in jail, make them angry, so they got to steal for it? Why not just let them have it? 
Well, it's the behavior that comes with it. That's the problem. You know, well, that's, I mean, that's well, the that's, that, you know, well, then there's penalties, you know. You know, you know it's different if, you know, uh, in a controlled environment. You, you know, you're walking around some areas, if you've ever been out to California, you can walk around some areas, and you're afraid to let your kids walk around with a pair of sneakers on. They might get a hypodermic stuck in their foot. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, if it's in a controlled environment, I mean, there are countries that allow, I think, doesn't Sweden allow certain drugs yes. to be used? Yes, and more Norway, the... they have, yes, drugs are legal. And guess what? Crime dropped 90%. The crime dropped. They have places where they shoot up, where they, places where they go and they get their drugs for free. No crime. Prison's empty. You know? But prison overall throughout the country is an industry. And the commodity oh, yeah. of prisons are, are prisoners. That's the commodity. And you start looking True. at prisons, you know, that are uh, in certain states. The, uh, for instance, the city of or the town of Oxford, Wisconsin, would not exist without the prison. The population is 103 people. Who do you think they are? They're not yeah. counting the inmates. 103. They're the guards, the administration, and those people, the post office, and. And so it's an industry, and it brings money in. It brings jobs in to the area. And and yeah. so and you'll find family members after family member after family member who have been in this business for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. But what and, about and the country itself, though, Peter? Though, they've been in this business, like, for instance, you know, we see the flipping of the country. Let's get into the politics of all this. You know, I mean, well, are the inmates, you know, I, you know, these inmates, what are they, how are they, you know, in society, where are they going to be at, you know, in the patriot movement or in society when some of these people don't know what the heck's going on? They don't even know who's president, you know? I mean, you know, they don't well, care. They're in another already, world. First of all, you're already, you're already considered an enemy of the state. You're a felon. They don't want to restore your rights. You've lost your gun rights. Okay, so you're an enemy of the state. And, and uh, so that's that's the first thing you realize that, you know, my opposition, I've done my time, but I'm still in opposition. I used to be fighting inmates. Now I got a it's society in itself as a whole. And and so I think a lot of a way for a young man or any man, they have to do what I did to overcome it. I mean, I have faith in God and I believe the Lord's walked me through this, but I I have to move forward and I can never let the stigma of what happened happen. I'm guilty of my crimes. Uh, uh, I got away with more than I got caught. And so yeah. uh, I take responsibility for that first and realize that anything that happens, I brought that on. I'm the guy that's to blame in the beginning. It's my fault, not society's fault. It's my fault. I made those choices. Okay. So when I got my heart right with God, now I know my heart's right with God. I know that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ forgive me my sins. Now I can march forward in life knowing that it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks about me. I'm right with God. And I'm and, and I'm not running a popularity contest. Everybody likes to be liked. But I have to forge forward. And I can't let my past hold me back. And and that's what young men and other men have to do. You have to come out. You cannot let your past hold you back. You just have to keep pushing forward. You have to be a fighter. You just can't lay down like a dog and lick yourself. You just got to get up and keep moving. Uh, now, where do they stand in the situation? Where I saw a display of lawlessness the other day in uh, outside of Waterbury, taking this kid parole, and then I took him to a laundromat. He was doing his laundry, and he would do it at my home, only they, only they haven't approved of him going anywhere yet. And yep. so I'm looking in the street, and I'm watching, and there's probably 40 motorcycles, dirt bikes they are, and uh, 
four-wheelers, and they came down the street, took over the whole road, and it's the main thoroughfare, took over the whole road, not a, not a vehicle, you know, with a plate on it. So already tells you, you know, these guys are wild. And then behind them was SUVs and other cars and people hanging out windows and hang, sitting on the window, the ledge and holding onto the roof racks, and they're all screaming. And, and it was just, looked like something out of Mad Max. And that's <laughs> what lawlessness is. All right? And, and I, believe we're, the I believe we're a nation. No, forget them. They're gone. They're not getting in that. Not at any chance. And they, so and what were they doing? Were they beating people up, attacking people, robbing them? Were they just screaming no, and yelling? Yeah! You know? They were screaming, yelling, yoo-hooing, and, and pulling wheelies and, and spinning around the streets. And, and, and I sat there and I looked at it. I said, wow, this looks like something out of Mad Max. You know, where's the maximum? Where's Mel Gibson? That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> and listen, we, I believe we're a nation of laws, and I believe that God instituted government. And I'm not saying that all government is good, but the institution of government. When you understand why we have an institution of government, the institution of government was to restrain the lawlessness of men who don't fear God. You see, if you well, but who Lord, restrains you, the government then? Who restrains the government? But, well, the government's supposed to be restrained because they're supposed to be restraining the lawless. You know, they have an ministry to answer for, and they will one day. Okay, but we the people, listen, the government isn't they the people. It's we the people. This is the United States of America. In the United States of America, we have a constitution. It says we the people. Those people in the White House and, and Pelosi's and Biden's, you know, you gotta, you got to just look at them. You put your hand on a Bible at an inauguration and swear to God, and yet you sign a document that allows people to kill millions of babies and fund it all around the world for abortion? Come on. You know, yeah. it, it, people say we're Democrats. We're Democrats. Listen, that's what a Democrat represents. That's what it represents. You're backing people that are backing people that are allowing them to murder millions of and funding it overseas. And so yeah. it's a hypocritical thing. But the truth is, those people are supposed to represent us. It's we who tell them what to do and what we want. And then there's, all right, they're supposed to go to this constituents and say, okay, this is what the people in the state of Connecticut are saying. They don't want this law, so I have to represent these people, and I oppose it. Not, not I represent the party. Yeah, you represent the Democratic Party, but you represent everybody, and everybody, whether Democrat or Republican, Independent, or whatever, you represent the people. And there comes a time when the people are getting tired of it now. Good men, good men, quiet men are rising up. People are getting very angry at what's going on in this country. And it can't continue the way it's going. Now, if you get the biblical perspective of that, and my brothers, you both have studied the Word of God. You know the Bible. You know it probably better than most people. You know what the end result is anyway. It all goes down. It's not evolution. It's devolution. And it all ends up bad. But why rush it? Why? Well, yeah. So, uh, well, okay. Yeah. It ends up going to, you know, it ends up a certain way. Yeah. But so, therefore... Today, um, I mean, the churches and whatnot, society, you're saying we're doomed. There's no hope. There's no saving us, basically. What I'm saying is this. If the people in this country just said one day, if they just said next Friday, nobody's going to work, we're all going to hit the street. We're going to make our little sign. We're going to be civilly disobedient without rioting, without destroying everything. We're not going to work, and we're protesting what's going on. Critical race theory, all that other nonsense they're teaching our children, uh, and, and all this other defund the police, all this stuff. Listen, 
You know what would happen? You, you shut this country down one day. That's how you hurt this country. That's how you hurt the people that are running the country. You hurt them in the wallet. What they understand. More than a bullet. That's what they understand. They understand yeah, but that, that poll's not true, though, because, look, they shut us down during COVID. They shut it down for COVID. No, they didn't, that didn't hurt them. They shut the, little, they shut the little guys down. That's what they did. They shut the little guys down and stole the little guys' money. So yeah, Amazon but you have chaos if the police, you know, if everything shut down like that. You'd have, you know, chaos. No, you, know? No, you wouldn't have If the people went to the street with the mindset, listen, we're not going out here to destroy the country. We're going out here to make a statement. That's a statement, financial statement. Believe me. You see things changing immediately. Country can't survive without people working. Uh, I don't know. Somebody put something in the chat room. Actually, the fact uh, of factual government is derived from two Latin terms, uh, gubernamentar uh, and uh, mens or mentis or whatever. Mentis, I think that's what he's saying. Uh, two terms, well, I guess, that's where government not, derives from. Government derives from the that's book not of true. Genesis. In the book of, and in the book of Genesis, Noah gets off the ark, and God puts the authority of human government in his hands and tells him, that the highest authority he has is to take a human life. So you're saying that's where government was created? Where government originated? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's it was. God created three institutions. He created the institution of marriage. He created the institution of the of the church, and he created the institution of government. But the government was to created. Not to control people or masses, it was created to restrain the lawlessness of men. You see, when men are serving God and they're following the, the scriptures and they're serving the Lord, they have a love for themselves, they have a love for God first, and then they love their neighbor as themselves, you see. And there are men who are godless who don't believe in that. They believe more, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can, screw the neighbor, and there is no God. And who cares? Anyway, that's what they figure. And so that's why government was created, to restrain that lawlessness. We can't live in a society of lawlessness. That little display up on the highway, I watched the faces on the older people and the younger people, even the kids. They were all terrified. And it wasn't even close. Government, government is they, against all things divine, this person says. That's not true. Government was created. Government wasn't, isn't against all things divine. Okay, it was, it was, listen, Israel as a nation was chosen by God. The United States of America, we chose the principles of the scriptures and the moral righteousness of God. And that's why this nation's been blessed the way it's been blessed. And if it wasn't for that, we'd be like the other nations that don't have a true God, that worship, you know, anything and everything, go cut a, cut a, uh, 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 a log out and carve it into an eagle and worship it. Look at those countries. Look at the nation. You look at Africa as a nation. Africa as a nation has one of the greatest resources of diamonds and metals, precious metals, and yet they're one of the poorest nations on in the world. Wrong God. Okay. What about uh, what about uh, England or something like that? You know, or or China or whatever. Well, we broke away from England. At one time, England used to send. Uh, at one time, we used to send uh, missionaries to England. England sent a missionary here now. All right, you can. Yeah. So, but what I'm saying is, this, we've had a lot of. You've done a lot of programs, and, and I respect you for a lot of the programs you've done. 
and uh, and I re- and I respect a lot of topics. You cover a lot of topics. You cover a lot of subjects. You give everybody uh, an opportunity to speak, and you don't, you know, you're not taking sides with people. You're just giving them an opportunity to speak. And so, you know, people who come in and say, "Well, you're affiliated with that, Joe," and you're listen, you know, if you're listening to this program tonight, Joe's not affiliated to anything. He's giving you an opportunity to speak. Use the platform. Yeah. Use the platform. Yeah. Use the platform. Maybe you can educate somebody, enlighten somebody, help somebody. That's absolutely, so you're absolutely had, correct I, on that. You've had a lot of guys on these programs and a lot of men from different things. You know, Over I've the debated, years, I sure uh, have, haven't I? <laughs> Yeah, I've debated evolution on it. I debated, I debated the Black Jesus Ministry, the Flat Earth Society, the Urantia people. I mean, we've given everybody a chance. We've we've done some extraordinary shows together. It's been great. Oh yeah, and, oh and, yeah. And, Remember that one? Oh yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and we and, and we pissed off a lot of people too. There were people that told me they were coming out here to kill me, you know, because they lost their. Oh money. yeah. But but you know what? Uh, the the truth is this: there has yet to be anybody, anybody who's come from outside of the scriptures themselves and has said what the solution to the problem is. There are many people that come on and they say, well, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And, and we were psyoped. We were psyoped. Uh, people in native intelligence who were friends might call me and say, you, guys, you, you don't realize you're all being psyoped. Shut up. Nothing's going to happen on that date. And when that date comes, you're going to push it ahead to another date and they're going to push ahead to another date. And finally, you're going to get so much disinformation, you're not going to believe anything anyway. And now they got you. Yeah. Because you're not going to yeah. do anything. You're going to be stuck in, in analysis paralysis. And so yeah. I have a yet to hear from whether it be people in the Patriot Movement, uh, people in Black Lives Matter Movement, or people in the uh, Ku Klux Klan for that fact. I've heard them all come in and, and say things. But I've heard never heard anybody yet outside of the scriptures come up with a solution. What What is the solution? And who's going to take us to that solution? So sitting here and saying, well, yeah, I know the country, and I know we're going down the tubes. I mean, this Joe Biden just took a – he was at a, a speaking, and they said to him, you want to talk to your mother? And he says, yeah, Mom, where are you? And they said, hey, Joe, your mother's not even in the audience. She's at home. This guy doesn't even know where he is. <laughs> and the question is this, and here's another question for, for the listeners. That guy's got an onset of dementia. He's had it for a long time. That's why they kept him in the basement during the election. And so the question is this. Who knew that? Who knew that before he was running for office and when he was running for office? Because those people are responsible. And those people are conspiring to take this country over. And they're waiting for this guy to go down. And then they're going to step up. He's out of the way. And if you're 40 years and over, nobody cares about you. They're not even concerned about you. They don't want you. They want your children's mind. They want your teenagers' minds, and they're progressively taking the country peacefully from you and leading it to where it doesn't belong. And so you come out with COVID and you come out with these diseases that are killing people and these flus and things, and who are they knocking off? They're knocking off all the elderly people who know the history of a nation. Yeah, that is true. They are whacking off the older generation. Right. Anybody who would oppose them this movement by use of history, by knowing the country, you go out on the street and talk to people. Most people couldn't even tell you when the Civil War started. Yeah. They couldn't even tell you, you know, who was the third, fourth president. They, they don't know. 
And then you've got the Olympic team up there kneeling down during the national anthem. Well, I'll tell you what. Shame on us and shame on the country. You can protest uh, about the country, and that's a great thing. Do it in your country. You don't go represent our country out of the country and then disparage it. You tr- if you were a Russian and you did that, I bet you they'd execute you in Red Square when you got home. Yeah, yeah that is true, yeah. And we bitch and cry about, well, excuse my life, we, we cry about about paying taxes and we're paying taxes. Listen, in other countries, you don't get to pay taxes. You just take your money. How about that? <laughs> well, they will be doing right. it soon and here. <laughs> yeah, well, look at Gavin Newsom. He wants to tax you by the mile. If you go to work and you drive so many miles, you've got to pay for the taxes on that mileage. Yeah. For using the road. You know. So yeah. primarily this is a control thing. And, it, and I came back about two years ago, and I said, we're in a civil war. The people don't even realize it. It's a war, and it's being fought, and no weapons are being fired. It's not a, it's not a military idea of a revolution. There's a revolution going on in the country, but it's a, it's a rev- progressive revolution. And the new religion of, of the United States of America is humanistic progression. You see? And the guy from, the, from Russia who was, the, who was involved with the KGB did the interview, and he sat down on live television, and he told the people straight out, he said, listen, this is a 50-year plan to take your country, and here's how we did it. You thought the KGB was running around trying to assassinate people. They're only responsible for 13% of anything that happened in Russia. He said, what really happened was we got into your country, and we, the first thing we have to do is demoralize you. So how did we do that? Well, we get rid of the things that are godly, get rid of the things that are holy, and we turn the country into an immoral nation. Now that it's an immoral nation, it becomes a lazy nation, by the way, and a weak nation. And then as, he, as it's a 50-year plan, as that generation dies off, those who are weak and immoral, they're the ones that are up in the office, see? You know, it's no more Harry met Sally. It's when Harry became Sally. Huh. So what's the answer and, and then? She, so what, what – I mean, so I know you don't have all the answers, but what's the answer to turning this thing around? Can we turn this ship around? Well – can only give you one example that I know of, biblically. And Joe, and I'm going to ask you the same one. question, Joe. But go ahead, Peter, you first. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you biblically the one answer. Biblically. I'm going to give you a biblical answer, and then I'm going to tell you what we need to do, what you and I and everybody listening should do. In the Bible, there's a story about a king named Josiah. He was a young boy. And the nation of Israel was going to be carried into Babylon as slaves for 70 years. Jeremiah, the prophet, had come and told them that. They knew it was true. They refused to believe it. Josiah went to the Lord and he prayed. And God gave him the nation a reprieve. He said, you're still going. There's still judgment coming. But I can let have it happen right now because Josiah was righteous. And so God gave the nation of Israel a reprieve when he was about to judge it. This nation here, we're going to get judged. We can't go on and in the long road. We can't put, stick our fingers in, the Lord, in God's face and think that we can continue down the road we're continuing. We are becoming a, a land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so what, what we need to do as men, if you're a Christian man, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't, you need to receive Christ. You need to repent of your sins and get saved because tomorrow is not promised. 5,000 people every year get blasted right off the face of the earth by lightning. And you know what? Right on Avon Mountain over here in Connecticut about two, three years ago, people were all lined up going to work. A guy came down with a dump truck and ran over every – the brakes went out. There isn't a person in that line that thought they wouldn't be dead tomorrow. 
Jamal's one not person did ask, uh, not to interrupt you, one person did ask, what's the term Israel mean, entails? He said, uh, you don't know what the term Israel entails. What's Israel mean, I guess? I think that's uh, what they're asking. Well, yeah, I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. So what I'm saying is this. The first thing American Christians need to do in this nation is to get their hearts right with God first. God doesn't need any answer prayers to people who aren't living right. We need to get our own hearts right. When as individuals we have our hearts right, then we need as a nation to turn to God and as a people and ask God to intervene. That's the only answer. Because biblically, scripturally, and I told you I'd give you the biblical example, the, the biblical example is the Bible says it comes to an end, and it doesn't. every dispensation ends with a judgment. And this, is, this dispensation will end with a judgment, and the judgment of God will be upon it. So we need, if we want to save our country, we need to turn to the only power that's outside of our own power, which is God, and we need to pray about that. And we need to come to terms and ask God to have mercy on this country, to give this nation for its sins, and to, and to take control of the leadership. That's, that's what we need to do. Now, what is Israel? Israel was a nation. Uh, they started out as, as Bedouins in Mesopotamia by a fellow named Abraham, and he was known uh, – he was – from Eber, and the word Eber means the other side of the river, and he came from Mesopotamia to Haran, and God made a covenant with him about the land. And Israel are people who were placed in the land that God chose, by the way, not Arafat. And by the way, Arafat wasn't even a Palestinian. He was an Egyptian, and he was married to a Roman Catholic, but he was leading the Palestinian uh, organization, the PLO. So, you know, fool the people all you want. You get down to the real stuff, okay? God made a promise, and the promise was that he would give them a certain piece of land, and from that land they would take his word, they would live there, and they would bring the word of God to the nations of the world. That's what Israel was supposed to do. So when I say Israel, I'm talking not only about a territory, but I'm talking about a people. And, and you'll have to ask yourself, people say, well, well how could you prove the Bible's true? I say, well, I, I give them one word, the Jew. He says the term Israel first derived out of Ramses uh, II. Ramses uh, II, ancient Kemet. Uh, Kemet, well, I can't see it. Ancient K-H-A-E-M-E-T. That's what he says. Well, uh, the word Israel comes uh, is found in the Bible, and they'll find that the name was given to Jacob. Yep. Okay. Jacob called Israel, and Jacob had, had the sons. And, and that's why they call it following the religion of Judaism is because the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes from the tribe of Judah. And by the way, when Moses was standing before the burning bush before God, God told Moses, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. Well, something, that word holy, is the first time it appears in the Bible is at that place. He's standing on holy ground, and it remains the same, the definition throughout the Bible. Something that is holy is something that is separated unto God. And so God sanctified that land. He said, you take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground. That, that's God's chosen ground. And he gave that to Israel. The purpose of the nation of Israel, now listen, there's a, everybody who says they're Israel is not Israel today. There's a nation out there. It's not the territory that God promised them. It's not all the territory because he promised them from the Nile to the Euphrates. Okay? And they never really ever got that territory if you study it. But there are certain covenants that God made with the nation of Israel. And, and it's the only nation that ever lost its language, was removed from its land, went back and revived its own language. Okay? 
So, so when we say Israel, are you talking spiritual Israel or are you talking physical Israel? Yeah, there's a country out there called Israel, but there's a remnant of believers called Israel. Okay, and they, they, they're, they're uh, the people that – the purpose of Israel, they weren't the biggest nation. They were the smallest, and the purpose of Israel was to bring the word of God to the people of the world. That's what the purpose was. But they had but they reject, too, but they know. did not do that according to right. So therefore, they were scattered abroad, right? Their land, land was taken from them, right? Well, you know, you, you know, I listen to all these people talk. You know, here's here's one of the things people are only know. See, Hosea four six says, "My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge." It's not what you know yep. that'll destroy. It's what you do. if you just get a little piece of knowledge, you only have a piece of knowledge. It's like I tell the atheist: Look, you look into the sky, and you look at the vastness of the universe. You look at bacteria, you look at germs, you look at all the things in the world here. And compared to the universe, you and I probably have a, a pinhead of knowledge. So the odds are greater that there is a God than there isn't. And then you look at intelligent design, and you can rationalize that out. And where did your moral consciousness come from? And those things, okay? So, so the problem isn't, the problem isn't, isn't uh, uh, you have to understand what happened in the Middle East. Jacob... You have Ishmael and Isaac, and Isaac was a child of promise. He was the one that was promised that through him 12 princes of Israel would come, you see. But Abraham didn't wait on God. His wife was impatient, and she had him go and, and fornicate with the handmaid from Egypt. And Egypt, by the way, in the Bible, is a type of the world. And so even Joseph wouldn't leave his bones in Egypt because it's a type of the world. You know, they crossed the Red Sea into the promised land. Sure. And so... Okay, so you see, there's a there's a satanic ploy behind all this that everybody has to see. But nobody, you can't understand what's going on in the Middle East until you understand Ishmael and Isaac. See, and, and when you understand the child of promise, yes, Ishmael had twelve princes too. God gave uh, Hagar son twelve princes, but they weren't the children of promise. You see, and so that's been a tribal fight. That's been an infight between Israel and the Arabs forever. That's where it started, and that's where the institution comes from. But here's, here's another thing, okay? This world here, if you're talking spiritual, you know about the Bible. This world here that we're talking about is operated by satanic forces, okay? And, and the plot and the plan is to destroy what's God. He, he believes he's going to defeat God in the end. You know, he's going to rule. And he's lost that battle 2,000 years ago at the cross, and so in Egypt, you had a guy who was a pharaoh, and he had a bunch of slaves. And, the, and you know what? The slaves went out, and they built all those kingdoms, Ramses, and all those kingdoms, you know, uh, for him. And, and all those great pillars and statues and all those massive cities. And he took credit for them. You see? And so yeah. we are in, people are enslaved spiritually to this world system, and they don't even realize who's behind it. And they're building the kingdom because in the tribulation he gets the kingdoms, he gets the world for seven years. Well, why would it, why would Satan fight a war or fight a battle that he knows he's going to lose? That makes no sense. That's like me playing well, a game of chess with you or playing a, a boxing match and knowing I'm going to lose. Why do it? You know. I'm going to I'm going to tell you why. He doesn't believe it. It's not that he knows it. He doesn't believe it. In San Diego, you and I have talked about this. In San Diego. 
there's uh, times when the, they don't have gutters on the road. So when it rains, it, they, the water runs down the road. There's some low spots and rivers, and the water comes up, and the, and the, and the uh, uh, swift water rescue team comes out, and they put signs up, flooded, do not cross. And okay. here's people, they come up, they drive right into the water, and then the swift water rescue team's got to go out and get them. They just wouldn't believe it. And that's the same thing with Satan. His heart, his, his, it says his heart is as the nethered stone of a, a grinding millstone. He's got a hardened heart, and he's so bitter, he's so angry, that he just will not accept the facts. And the fact is, it's written. And I'll tell you what, in the inkling, he, he knows his time is short. And if you're watching the world, if you're a spiritual person and you're watching the world, everything's going faster and faster. And faster, it's snowballing now. It's snowballing. It has to come to a head at some point. It can continue speeding up. It's all heading for a crescendo. And and you can learn says, uh, from history. He says, if you go, one person if, made this comment, though, real quick, uh, Peter. Uh, Ramses, Ramses uh, Ra is the one who bore him or born of Ra, the, the third king of the 19th uh, dy- dynasty, 1292 through uh, 1190 BCE. Well, here's, here's what I can tell them. You had the Nile God. You had the God of fertility. You had Ra, okay, the eye. You had all these gods in Egypt. And, and when you read scripture and you learn about the ten plagues, the ten plagues were designed to overthrow each of their gods. Each one of those plagues destroyed something that the Egyptians were worshipping because they were false gods. Okay? Dagon was the fish god. So what did he do? He turned the water into blood. And he did no fish. Now where's your fish god? Call your fish. <laughs> you see? God, God's proven himself. You know, and, and ask that gentleman ask that gentleman if he's ever read the papyra of Ani, the Egyptian book of the dead. Well, he can hear you. I think he can hear you. So, oh. uh, if you ever read that book, uh, the person there, people it, are lazy. That's it was what he said. Pap- I don't know if he. Yeah, go ahead, Peter. It's the Papyrus of Ani. It's the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Well, where does all that come from? You know, it comes from uh, uh, Semiramis and uh, the Great Hunter. Who was the Great Hunter? Nimrod. Nimrod, right? Yeah. That's right. He was. He was the great hunter. Well, what happened to Nimrod? Where did Easter come from? Where did all the pagans' holidays come from? They, they came from Babylon. They came from the Tower yeah. of Babylon. They came from Nimrod, his family, his people. Said there's no such thing as the Book of the Dead. I've got one caller here, 314, that I've got time there to reading. Uh, bring him on. Excuse me. And there, there is Joe up there. Book. I also want to comment. Go ahead. I'm sorry, yeah, Peter. Let me, let me clarify that for your friend, and I'm going to be quiet. Okay. Uh, it's called sure. the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And it's called the Papyrus of Ani. And it certainly does exist in its full state. Okay. okay. Well, he said, yeah, because he said there is no such thing. Okay, well, there you go. Well, that's yes. up to All right, 314, go ahead. Well, it wasn't called the Book of the Dead. It's called the Book of Coming Forth by Day and by Night. And the Pharaoh of the 19th Dynasty, Ramesh II, his name was. Ursa Mahat Ray Septepenra, Ra Meshu Mary Amen. Septepenra, born of Ra. Mary Amen, loved by Amen. 
I spent over eight, maybe nine years, I'd have to check my passport, going in and out of tombs, temples, pyramids, clinging down to the northern Sudan border. And uh, have, you been, have you been to the Great Pyramid, brother? I've been to all pyramids. the pyramids. I've been in Seneferu's Pyramid and also Khufu's Pyramid there on the Giza Plateau. I'm, uh, yeah, and I'll tell you why I'm asking you that. Um, if if uh, you ever pick up the book by Clarence Larkin called The Sensational Truth, he lays out the mm-hmm. complete gospel of Jesus Christ inside that temple, inside the Great Pyramid. Well, ain't nothing in there now. Everything is, is just a chamber. It's all it is. Yes. yes you know, if chamber. you look at the, if you look at Second Kings nineteen and thirty-five, it's when the Cushites fought the Assyrians. Assyrians got Assyrians were led by Sennacherib, and and Assyrians' deity was Asor. And of course, the Cushites got was Amen. The Cushites the defeated. I don't. I don't. I, the the symbol for the the Syrians, I don't know. But that almond was ram's head. Right. But the Kushites defeated the Syrians, and the Kushites went there because they was helping the kissing kin, which was breakaway Kushites. They they formed a deity that's called Yah. Yahweh. Yahweh was a local god of no importance. And if the Assyrians had defeated them, there would not have been a Judaism. If it wasn't a Judaism, it wouldn't have been a Christianity. If it wasn't a Christianity, it wouldn't have been an Islam. So that was a very tantamount battle that was had. But uh, until you go over there and see that stuff, if you can bear the heat, People are basically going by what they read. There's nothing wrong with that, but uh, that's just the thing. I think the, I think the best document to read is the Bible. And I think there's more evidence for the authenticity of it than for any other book. And uh, I think prophetically it's fulfilled its uh, course. Uh, I mean, there's over 48 prophecies alone of, of the place where Christ was going to be born, how he was going to be born, where he was going to be born, how he was going to die. And those, some of those prophecies were, you know, you go back to the book of Isaiah, you're talking about 750 B.C., where they talk of Cyrus, King Cyrus, that there'd be a king. This is before he was born. There would be a king that would release him from uh, Babylon named Cyrus. And, you know, that king did come along. And then you get to Daniel's 70th week. And then you get to the vision Nebuchadnezzar has with the statue, and you find that, you know, the head is gold, which represented his kingdom. And then you went down to the uh, silver and then the brass, and then it splits east and west, and that's what happened to the Roman Empire, the religious empire, when Constantinople and Rome. And then you get down to the ten confederated toes, and when you get to the ten toes, they're not iron. They're iron mixed with miry clay, and man comes from clay, uh, red. Well, and, yeah, and everybody has the, the, those ten toes. Everybody has the belief, are, yes. You kind of break it well, up there a little bit. It's, it's, it's really not everybody has their belief. It, it, truth is not relative. It's not you see it your way and I see it my way. Truth is not relative. It's a negative and a, ba- and a positive on a battery. And the first principle of truth is the law of non-contradiction. B cannot not be. You and I know we are. It's just self-evident. Nobody has well, to tell we us can, that. 
Yeah, but the things in the Bible can, can be contra- contradicted because if God made the world in seven days, but back in those times, the calendar had ten-day weeks, not seven. Well, and I've seen these that? calendars. They exist today. You can go there and see them. Yeah. They're at the at the temple of not, at the temple of Philae. Yeah, this is way before the Bible. But this is way well, before I don't the Bible. That's before. I don't. Job's the oldest book in the Bible. And Job well, sets out in the be- and and Genesis says in the beginning God. So what was before God? It well, Ptah said, Ptah, which was the creator of the universe, who created all the less of God. He said, when I came into existence, existence itself came into existence. Well, Muhammad said that he he was uh, uh, the chosen Messiah. Uh, Muhammad and, came and, late. Yeah, no, you talk sure. about the 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 Amin the Amin the Amin priesthood goes back over ten thousand years. If you look at the uh, Hurim Aket, which is the Sphinx, uh, there's fissures marks on there that go back over fifteen thousand years. I've been in people's homes there in Aswan, the Nubians, and you sit in their living room, and it's opened up clean to the sky. Why is that? Because well, it never rains. Who dated that? Huh? And what method of dating was who dated the Sphinx? And what method of dating was used? Because we already know that carbon dating is a fraud. That carbon dating. Well, they carbon no, they have means. They have other means, means of. They have isotopic means of measuring things well, nowadays, the like with, they can measure. Yeah, but here's the problem like, with radioactive isotope. Radioactive yeah. isotope could be around for a thousand years and be as strong as it was the day it was put in there if it's surrounded by certain lead elements. If it's not, then the isotopes, of course, deplete. So, so even, that isn't, even that isn't a great ground. And when, when we had Mount St. Helen go up, and, and then they see, when you, you, you go to uniformitarianism and you look at the earth and you find, you know, even down in the Grand Canyon, all of a sudden the, the, the earth isn't laid in stratus. All of a sudden between two stratus appears a tree. You see? And so the, well, the age of the if earth you look at the, the age and the method of which archaeologists use, you know, down yeah. in Mississippi, the archaeologists were digging along the Mississippi River, and they came across some pottery, and they said, hey, look, this is about 1902. And then they dug a little bit deeper, and they hit some more stuff, and they said, hey, this is the 1600s. And then they dug a little deeper, and they hit something else, and you know what it was? It was an outboard motor. Well, you know, the thing is, the difference between there and here is that the climate there is ideal for preservation. It's dry and hot. You know, I was in Ethiopia one night, and I came out of a lecture, and it was dark outside. When I looked up, I literally ducked because I thought I was going to bump my head into one of those stars. So it's just that awesome in those areas there. So... Sounds like Arizona, right? Huh? Sounds like Arizona. No, well, it might be. I've never been in Arizona at night, but I know what it was at night there in Ethiopia. I'm just just being a little facetious. I've been invited to go out to uh, Liberia uh, to train some pastors out there, and I I really, my heart's desire is to see Africa. Yeah, Uh, and then when you look at the the Shatat Netter, which is... uh, it's what people call, also call the Book of the Dead. That's what somebody misnomed it. But you see the attributes to Heru, 
is some of the same attributes that they have applied to other saviors. You know, Curtis Gray wrote a book of the 16 world saviors, and actually it's more than that. Apollonius, Krishna, uh, down in Mexico, they got Clictochlora. They all have the same attributes that Haru did. You know, you know I am that you. I am. He said it was nuke, pook, nuke, and so on and so but on where, and so on. But, but do you know where they all come from and how they got there? Well, they, they come had from to come the from the they come from the Tower of Babel, wouldn't Because they were they were out of the presence of God uh, uh, from from Cain's people and from from being outside the presence of God. That's why when the Christians got to China, there was the the, the mother and the child holding the the baby, the Madonna. See? And well, by the way, the word the word salvation in Chinese means a lamb and blood. Well, That's absolutely. But you know, the thing is, is that if you look at the Bible history for instance like you mentioned about the tower of babel that wouldn't have worked because when you get up to about thirty thousand feet the temperature drops down about below no, no, zero no. and your martyr it would, your martyr no. would have froze yeah misconception it wasn't a tower to you know all the way to heaven we're going to go to heaven with it and build it into the into space it was a it was a city of commerce and the tower represented its religion yeah, but it, it represented a place where people were speaking the lang- same language, and God got angry, and he confused their tongue. Same thing with the with the Noah story. If it rained 40 days and 40 nights where the water covered every, every protrusion on earth, which include Mount Everest, well, at, at that elevation, we're talking about 35 degrees below zero. It would have been skating on ice. And didn't they say? And and isn't there proof of the ice age? Where do you it's think proof the of the ice came? age, yes, but it's not proof of the world being covered, insulated by water at that elevation where it covers a mountaintop. Then here's another question: Where in the heck did all that water go? Well, I can tell you where. Well, a lot of it. I can tell you where it came from. <laughs> I I can give you the. I can tell you where biblically it came from. You see, yeah. it, the water the water didn't come from underneath the earth to cover the earth. The water came from above the earth. You see, because there's a there's a place between heaven and earth where it's zero Kelvin, and whatever's physical must stop because there's a spiritual realm, and that's where the throne of God is. And when you read the Bible and you see that the face in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was void. First, it was perfect. It one heaven said the heaven and the earth, not heavens. So when you read the first verse of the Bible, it tells you it was only one heaven. See? And then when you get to the second verse, you find out that it's destroyed. It's sitting without form in its void. So something happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And when you study... Well, the yeah, seven, a, whole, a, a whole lot happened because they didn't understand about the constellations, especially the moon. The moon does not give off its own light. It's a reflection of the light of the sun. And they called oh, the moon Jesus the lesser light. Jesus knew that before they knew that in 33 A.D. He told me it would be light on one side and dark on the other. In that day, when the, when, when the Lord called for his people, in that day, two would be working in the field. And in that night, two would be in the bed. See, he knew about that, that night. That was from peering at, at an eclipse. No, that was from... Yeah, eclipse is dark on one side. 
The sun is dark on one side, light on the other. But anyway, I'm not going to let you go back. But you know, the thing is about religion, it's good for people to have a religion and believe in something that they have a fear for and want to live morally, quote-unquote, right, and treat their fellow man as they would like for their fellow man to treat them. And uh, I I support When I read the Bible, it tells this. I don't need a religion to be a moral person. That God has given every man two things. The first thing he's given him is reason, and he can reason from creation that there's a creator. And the second thing he's given him is conscience, and conscience is your moral standard. So if you steal from me, and it offends me, I know stealing's wrong, where did that moral conscience come from? So God's given every man morality, well, and he's given every I, I, reason. I think they observed it in nature because you got it. Birds that steal from other birds, you got fish that steal from. So, well, you had a human being with a very nature for one thing, and they began on to realize. See that that uh, you learn about trial. Human beings learn from trial and error. Well, they learn you know from trial and error. Then they also watch yeah, but you know what nature. I could have learned that stealing's cool, and I could get what I want by stealing. That's what I could have learned. But there was a moral. There's a moral standard innate within me that tells me it's wrong. Well, so I know it's wrong. When animal, when so one I'm animal, that from, I'm not learning yeah, that well, from nature. I'm from within, and and and, and the, the you know truth is not relative. And the first thing a person needs to do is they need to disprove the book. If they can disprove the Bible, then I, then I'll listen to them. Disprove it. They can't. Disprove well, the thing it. is, God, is God, yeah, but God you may mention about you may mention about learning. They had to learn from something. See, you can't make – see, if you say thou shalt not steal, you had to experience something being stolen from you. When you say thou shalt not fornicate, you had to experience that before you write a commandment forbidding that. Now, in the Ten Commandments of the Bible, it always leaves room to be forgiven once again, once again, and once again. When they say thou shalt not. But – at the judgment scene there, and you talk about the papers of Ani, when the person is being weighed, his heart is being weighed against the feather of Ma'at. And he recites, you got up at the top, you got uh, these priests. You got, uh, I believe it's 40 priests. But it goes like this. I have not, not that I thou shall not. You say, I have not sinned. I have not stole. I have. So you are talking about how you have lived your life, not that you're asking forgiveness so that you can go ahead the next day and start all over. So there's a difference but there. There's one thing that separates all that from, all, from everything else, just one thing. You want to know what mm-hmm. that is? An empty tomb. It's and what? That's the tomb of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And that separates it from everything else. And that separates well, all the, God's gods. So, yeah, the, well, so, you know, they all disappeared like that. Uh, no, Ashur's body yeah. was cut up. Ashur's body I, was cut up in, in 13 yeah, pieces. But resurrect from the dead. Ashur wasn't seen by 500 people. And Ashur didn't meet his disciples. And Ashur didn't eat with them. And there's eyewitnesses. Well, well yes, he did, them. too. He, he was resurrected because his wife, Ma'at, they found everything except for his phallus, and they believed that the phallus was thrown in the Nile River and was consumed by a crocodile. Today, uh, people in that area don't eat crocodile. 
Now, she fashioned one out of clay, and she turned herself into a hawk and hovered over it, and he came to life. Well, people say that the Tammuz would turn into the sun god, but it doesn't mean he really did. You see, where's the evidence that he did? Where's the evidence that that alligator ate him? You see, when I go to the manuscripts, the closest manuscript to an original of the New Testament is the Ryland Papyrus. It's within 50 years to the original. You go Why did they call the it the New Testament? Uh, why did because, they call it the Old Testament? You know, in Gondor in Ethiopia today, the better Israel only used the first five books. They don't use the New Testament. So what it was, whoever came later and wrote the New Testament called that which existed before that old. The people that originally no, wrote the yeah, five books didn't call Testament. it old. Yeah, it was the Old Testament, and you have a New Testament. The reason why you have a New Testament because the testator died. You can't well, have a no, testament the, the, the people that testator. wrote the old never called it old. It was only the, the there Jews was. Still don't call, the Jews still deny that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Well, they got a right, too. All right. Well, hey, listen, you have a right to believe whatever you want. It doesn't make it true. You see, it's just yeah, like, it doesn't, it's just, but it, it but but it doesn't mean well, that it's not evidence. true. Well, of course, I mean, they got a right to believe what it's okay yeah, for them to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. You can believe whatever you want, but it's just and you, you know that every ethnic group, every ethnic group, group had their own god because men created gods. There was no, lots men, of them. No men, men counterfeited god. Men no, wanted to god. These deities yeah. were in existence before there was any. They're not deities. They're not. They deities. are a deity They're to demonic. the people. No, they are not. They're, They're deities to yes, the people. But the spiritual truth. But the spiritual they are deities. They are. For you to say, wait a minute. For you to say they're not deities is showing that you are disrespecting their view of what they create. I'm the truth. Listen, when I talk to my friends from the Middle East in India. And they tell me, you know, about Siddhartha Gautama Buddha and all that. And they talk about the uh, yin and the yang. And, and when we talk about the hundreds of gods that they have, they can't live out the life that they're saying because the proof is in the evidence. You see, because they believe that it, truth is relative. Truth is not relative. There is the truth and then there is not the truth. And so when I say to my friends from the Middle East, I say, let me ask you a question. If one way is just as good as the other, why do you look both ways when you cross the street? You see, you can't live out there. Well, it may be starting at the end of the street where it ends. Here's another thing. No. You, got, you got your trinity. You got your trinity today in the Judeo-Christian, which is what? You had the what is, the, what, is, what is your trinity today? The trinity you got is, is what God, the Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? What it's always been. And when you look no, at what wait you a minute, say, wait, wait a minute. Day. Hang on for a second. Just hang on for a second. You, you, you would have to go over here to see these things. The Trinity was the father, the father, the mother, and the child. Why did they That's take out point. the woman? Wait a minute. Why, why at the Consul, Consul of Ephesus, why did they take the woman out and replace it with a Holy Ghost? No, listen. The Council of Ephesus had to do with what? Catholicism. Had nothing to do with Christianity. Catholicism's got nothing to do with they Christianity. They took the whatsoever. female out of the Trinity and replaced it yeah, with a Holy Ghost. Listen, in the beginning, in the Bible, that's the true document. 
Not what any church says, not what any church twists the scripture, not what any man says. What does the Bible say? And in the beginning, even, even the Shema, the Lord our God is one God. The word one is plural in Hebrew. Let us make man in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The woman didn't come in. He told, Jesus told them, Mary told them. Like, like, Eve, had, Mary. like Eve had... Like Eve had a navel. But here's the thing. In the earliest, the earliest concept of a trinity was the father, the woman, and the child. That's natural. Not in my book. Not in my book. Always, well, that's your, your book come much later. No, These didn't. things are carved in stone. Well, you didn't have – see, paper didn't always exist for you to write on. These things well, are carved true. and strong. Yeah, that's true. Well, Hammurabi carved 50, you know, 500 laws. You know, and you find Hammurabi in the Bible. He's in there. He's, he's, he's in you know, the, you can go into, you can go there in the Valley of the Kings, and you can go up into Men to Hudi May's tomb. You have to go up the side of the mountain, go through a cutout, and go down into the mountain, down a shaft. You go down to the bottom of the shaft, you come to a room, you, you take a left, and you go down more steps, and you come out to where his tomb, his sarcophagus lay. And almost all around the walls, you have painting of scenes as if they was painted yesterday. But on some of the columns, you have text that's written in the, the text of the day, the metanature. You read line, line, line in black, and all of a sudden, you read lines that's written in red. That was when Amen was speaking. Well, when you get your Bible, isn't the text that's written in red supposedly when God is speaking? That's that's man's creation. It doesn't make it any more important than the rest of the Who Bible. else would create it's it, pointing out, It's just pointing out that Jesus was speaking, and it wasn't in the original. Uh, it in, wasn't in no the Jesus it during the time of Men Keparata Hootie Mays, sir. Of course there was, and you can find Jesus walking on the plains of Mamre in the Bible when he met Abraham before they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He was there the was no the Sodom and Gomorrah during that time period. Okay. And he called them, and what did he call them? He called them Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. But what I'm trying to tell you, chronologically, those time periods for your Jesus and the other just did not exist at that time. Jesus existed from the beginning. What are you talking that's about? What you, that's, what they, the that's what they say. <laughs> well, well, All right, look, it, I gotta, I'm going to let you go back to your show. I'm going to let you go back to your show. I enjoy speaking to you, and I enjoy your knowledge, and you're very knowledgeable. And I love, really love to spend some time talking to you off air about some of the things you've seen over there, really. And, well, and, I'm not uh, as sharp as I used to be. I kind of moved away from that, but uh, you guys have a pleasant <laughs> evening. All right, thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Before you before you go, let me say this. If anybody out here wants to know what the real deal is, here's how you find out. It's very simple. If you want to know if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and if Jesus Christ is real, and if he's truly the Savior, then you go to God and you say, God, I want you to reveal your Son to me. And I, I assure you, God will reveal him to you. And if he doesn't, then guess what? Listen to this other guy about who the original gods were and all that and, and find out. But there is a way to find out. It's not relevant. You know what you know what the symbol you know what the symbol of the Son of God is? You can see it on temples in Karnak and Luxor all over the temple. It was a circle and a goose. Sa Ra, son of God. 
That's where they got it from. Thank you very much. Yeah, and it came from Cain's right, side because Cain, Cain was cast out from the presence of God. That's where secular music comes from. That's where the secular life comes from. He could no longer stand in the presence of God. So who were they going to worship? They had to create their own gods. So All right, Joe, Joe, there? Joe, uh, Joe, are you still there? I apologize for that, uh, but uh, I know you've probably been waiting a long time. Joe, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still there. Look, I was, okay. I was, I was thoroughly, I was thoroughly enjoying that conversation. Uh, yeah, we all were. We were enjoying the conversation. It was a good discussion. But very, uh, thank God, thank goodness, nobody was yelling at each other, talking over each other a little bit. But you know, uh, it was a good conversation, educated, educational uh, conversation. I mean, you can't beat that on uh, Blog Talk Radio. At least nobody cut each other off. I mean, I'm sure he's gone on other podcast shows and they start yelling at him, you know, and then they hang up on him. But I don't do that on my podcast show. I give everybody. A chance, you know. So, uh, but uh, I guess he says he's gone. Why don't you take us out, Joe? Joe, say one thing real quick, and then Peter, you uh, take us out after Joe, okay? Uh, Joe, yeah, what do you, you think know, tonight's podcast? Well, tonight's podcast was 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 fabulous. You know, there's a lot of good information. There's a lot of good topics and things that were discussed. But you know, Peter, Peter, you know, Peter said it the best. You know, this nation, the only way it's going to get back to where it is and where it was, you know, over the years of, of, of me being on this earth, which is 60. You know, I remember when it was, it was church on Sunday and, and, and people coincided and this and that. We, we, and we've taken God and we've put God on a back burner. And we need to get back to being God and go into that book to find out the things that we need to do and how we need to do them. I, I told this to somebody just before I left the prison. I said, listen, when you want to make any decision in your life, you need to, you need to get into Scripture and, and, and see the way that God would have to done. You're going into court, you're going to court with God. You're going to the motor vehicle department, you're going with God. You're going on a job interview, you go in there with God, and it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out for you. God is truly real. Uh, I'm a miracle. I'm a miracle. I, I can attest to, to the saving power and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, and you know, on that note, I just want to say, look, to guys that are listening, people are listening, God gets the glory in everything. And that's all there is to okay. it. All right, Joe. Joe, first time call the podcast. Thanks for uh, joining me tonight. I appreciate it. Hopefully hear from you in the future we'd be kind of like tackle these t- subjects but not they're not always about god you know we don't have those back and forth but tonight we had a good discussion usually we're talking about you know things like the prisons the things understanding the times in which we live today but thanks first time caller joe thanks i appreciate it uh peter Amen. thank you brother yeah, i appreciate the opportunity to speak tonight i really thoroughly enjoyed the knowledge that that man has and i <laughs> Many, had many conversations with many, not so much a conversation with many men in the world. And, uh, you know, again, truth is not relative. It's not rational. Just because society says something is right doesn't mean it's all right. You know, I was uh, in a prison cell with a young man one day, and he started swearing. I said, why are you, why are you swearing? Why are you using that foul language? What's the purpose? You're a more intelligent purpose than that. He said, what's wrong with it? They say it on television. You know, if TV is your standard, then you've got a problem. And so uh, my... I'll end what I have to say tonight by saying this. The Bible says this. It says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. Okay. Romans says 
that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'll be saved. He'll save your soul. On that tombstone is two dates, the date you were born and the date you died. And we're all going to be dead a lot longer than we lived, and we better find out where we're going in eternity. And so what is the proof that what we believe is true? And it's the book. And until they can disprove the book, because the true Bible, there's many counterfeits out there, the NIV, RSV, ASV, CEV, and on and on. They make one every six months. But the true King James authorized Bible is a Bible that has no copyright. Every other Bible has a copyright, and they can't copy each other. They never say the same thing. But there's no copyright on the King's Bible and the King James Bible, and there's a reason for that, because God wanted to put the Bible in people's hands that could read it and understand it. It's written at a fourth-grade level. And if you have trouble reading fourth-grade level material, you should go back to school. But Jesus said, Paul said, the Apostle Paul, if you believe with your heart, believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. If you know you're a sinner, then today's the day of salvation. Tomorrow can't wait. You're gambling your whole life on something that you don't know. You could live it. You could be the greatest person in the world. But that isn't going to get your works aren't going to get you to heaven. Jesus said you, he paid for your sin. He died for your sin. And he paid the price. And it's an eternal price. And so if you want an eternal life and, and with the Lord, you can have that. But God doesn't make somebody love him. Hell's a real place. Jesus spoke more about hell than any other subject while he was preaching on the earth. And, and, and he said it was real. And the, and the problem is this. We've got to make a choice. Where do you want to spend eternity? And what is it in hell that you think you want? That's what I want to know. And so if you just go to the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I am a sinner, and I don't want to go to hell. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, was buried, resurrected the third day, sits at the right hand of the Father. He said that's as simple as that. Repent and believe, and he'll save your soul. He's taking the eternal punishment that you and I deserve. Sin is eternal. And so, again, All right. if you want to know if Christ is real, that's what you have to do. If you want to know who's telling the truth, ask God to reveal himself to you and his son, and he will. Thank you, Joe, for the opportunity. Thank you, listening audience. My brother, uh, Joe, up on the other side of the hill, God bless you. Have a good evening. Good night. God bless the republic, everybody. God bless the republic. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Samuel Adams, First Chief Justice John Jay. Names synonymous with the spirit of our country. Founding fathers of the USA. Over 200 years ago, they shook off the chains of tyranny from Great Britain by divine call. Citing 27 biblical violations, they wrote the Declaration of Independence with liberty and justice for all. But something happened since Jefferson called the Bible the cornerstone for American liberty, then put it in our schools as a light. Or since give me liberty or give me death, Patrick Henry said, our country was founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We eliminated God from the equation of American life thus eliminating the reason this nation first began. From beyond the grave, I hear the voices of our founding fathers plead. You need God in America again. Of the 55 men who formed the Constitution, 52 were active members of their church. Founding fathers like Noah Webster, who wrote the first dictionary, could literally quote the Bible chapter and verse. James Madison said, We've staked our future and our ability to follow the Ten Commandments with all our heart. These men believed you couldn't even call yourself an American if you subvert the Word of God. 
In his farewell address, Washington said, you can't have national morality apart from religious principle, and it's true. Because right now we have nearly 150,000 kids carrying guns to these war zones we call public schools. In the 40s and 50s, student problems were chewing gum and talking. In the 90s, rape and murder are the trend. The only way this nation can even hope to last this decade is put God in America again. (laughs) 